Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. This is episode 153. We're recording on Sunday, November 28th, 2021 at 3 p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, Todd Plucknett, Zach Saltz. We took a week off. We actually took a week off last week. And now we're back. I don't know. My last weekend just didn't quite feel whole yet. At the same time, it was a nice little break. Right. Well, well, since we last recorded, a lot has happened in our lives. One is that Todd has a new apartment that we were spectating at earlier. So no, no movie posters in the background. But, uh, you know, can you give us some details about it, Todd? Like, you know, your home address so we can go bother you or something <laughs> or like. Oh, is it is it is it like uh, Phyllis's apartment at all, or like is it? Can you is it like the the is it or is it more like the uh, swingers apartment on a spectrum? It actually is really similar to the swingers apartment. Like the shape That's of it, even where the kitchen is, is sort of exactly the same. That <laughs> actually is a good a good comparison. Yeah. So that's the main reason we took a took a week off last week. His Todd was moving. Zach and I were, were teachers. We're in the middle of, I don't, I don't know about you, Zach, but we just ended a term. So I had a crap ton of grading to do. So I didn't do any grading, man. I just, I just watched movies and drank. <laughs> That's what Thanksgiving break is for me. Well, there you go. There you go. Well, I haven't done any grading this weekend. These yet, girls but... want to party. That's, that's my Thanksgiving break. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, uh, make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing all over the internet, wherever you can find podcasts. We're there. Uh, and make sure you tell all your friends about us as well so that uh, we can be found by more people. Uh, we kind of like what we do. And the more people that listen to it and I don't know, it, it makes it better, makes it a little more worthwhile. All right, Zach, what are you drinking? I'm having some Garnacha de, de Fuego. I was trying to get some Italian wine, but I got to get rid of this Spanish shit uh, ASAP <laughs> before uh, we get back to real life. So I, I'm going to enjoy one last uh, sw swing of it. Nice, nice. Todd, what what uh, what is christening the new apartment? I'm having a martini, vodka martini. I'm not really sure why. I didn't have anything Italian either. So, but I decided maybe to lemon hell with it. What? Yeah, martini. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some beer here. I didn't get to the brewery today, but I did get to the grocery store. I mean, it's it's post Thanksgiving. We're gonna be talking about about like holiday movies, but we can't, but not Christmas movies. But it is the start of Christmas season, so I had to get. Uh, this is Deschutes Brewery in Oregon. This is their Jubilee Winter Ale. So that's what I'm drinking today. Yeah, I mean, the first podcast after Thanksgiving is always the introduction of Terry's gimmick holiday beers. And I look forward to a full, like, four or five weeks of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's see. What have we been watching? Uh, we're going to go to Zach first. Okay, well, I watched 16 movies this Thanksgiving break. I, I think that's a record even, even for me. Nice. Uh, a lot of them were not 2021 movies, but the one that I do want to talk about is a 2021 movie. It was actually one of the first movies I watched over this break, and that is Tick, Tick, Boom, 
the new movie uh, with uh, Andrew Garfield, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, about the life of Jonathan Larson, the uh, writer of Rent, um, who died tragically before Rent ever became really well known. I got to say, watching this movie, I I was not familiar with the kind of backstory about how this uh, how this project developed. I went into this thinking that was this I I didn't know whether for sure it was a Lin-Manuel Miranda written uh, production or not. And in the first like 20 minutes, I'm thinking, well, you know what? This doesn't really sound like Lin-Manuel Miranda music. It sounds kind of more like Jonathan Larson music. It sounds like Rent. But Lin-Manuel Miranda is such a musical genius and prodigy that maybe he just wrote it in the style of uh, of Jonathan Larson. Anyway, th- that's really just me just, you know, saying Lin-Manuel Miranda is, is, a, is a genius. The, the, the musical was written as a one-man show by Jonathan Larson. And uh, I'll just be quick here. I loved it. I, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it's a look at Jonathan Larson's failed attempt to produce his first uh, Broadway play, which is sort of a take on, a, a sort of bizarre, futuristic take on 1984 called uh, S- Superbia, I think is the name of it. Um, and uh, it fails. And we know that Jonathan Larson is a genius. We know he died, you know, way before uh, he reached any sort of level of success. So we kind of know the end of the story. But it's uh, it's a movie that's really poignant. And it shows it's, it's one of the rare movies, I think, shows like artistic genius, but also someone who fails, which you don't see a lot of. I mean, you see a lot of like John Nash stories, right? But you don't see where the artist actually doesn't succeed. I also want to bring this movie up because um, earlier, a couple days ago, we lost uh, Stephen Sondheim, the great Broadway composer and lyricist. And Stephen Sondheim is actually a character in this movie. He's played by Bradley Whitford. And he sort of um, is almost like Jonathan Larson's mentor. When Larson is, you know, on the verge of giving up, he remembers that actually Stephen Sondheim actually liked his work and gave him some words of praise. So anyway, I loved it. I think Andrew Garfield deserves an Oscar nomination. I think it's, you know, in in the 10 million projects that Lin-Manuel Miranda has done this year, this is among the best of it. I give it three and a half stars and I'd encourage everybody to watch it. I'm a cynic. I said a couple weeks ago, I hate movies that break into song. This is the exception. This was an awesome movie. I liked the music. I liked pretty much everything about it. Really possibly a top 10 movie for me this year. Yeah, I watched that one too, actually. I, I, I liked it a lot. And, uh, yeah, Andrew Garfield is insane. Like, I, it's one of the only times other than like maybe a Bob Fosse movie or something when you're watching somebody sing that they're actually, you could tell that they're actually doing it. And he's like sweating. Like, he is so into it. And I, I thought he was amazing. And yeah, I, I still think he's the front runner to win Best Actor. I hope so. And you know, we're going to talk about another front runner for Best Actor too. But like what I love about uh, Andrew Garfield in this movie, he's not like a naturally trained singer and he doesn't have the world's greatest voice. But hey, did John did Jonathan Larson really have the world's greatest voice? Probably not. And I love his hair. I love his sort of eccentricity. It, it is a brilliant performance from a guy who pro- who wasn't really trained as a, as a singer. And I think it actually makes the performance a lot richer. I really need to see that one. I've this been trying movie has to get Terry to it. written all over it. Why why have we seen it and not you, Terry? I don't know. Ridiculous. I, don't know. I just haven't had a chance to. I will I will watch it this week and report back next week for sure. For sure. If this isn't thrice approved, then I quit the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Oh, okay. Okay. I'll I'll keep that in mind as I'm watching it. Um I will say, so I'll, I'll go next here. Uh, one thing I will mention there, um, Zach, you mentioned the many, many Lin-Manuel Miranda projects. Uh, one of them I caught that I wrote a review for is Encanto, which I'm kind of in the minority. I wasn't the biggest fan of. And um, and so uh, you can read my review at almostsideways.com. 
uh, check out our blog there where you can find find that. Uh, but I'm going to talk about my my uh, Oscar anniversary watch actually watches because we took a week off and I want to report on both things that I watched um, just to kind of round things out. One is uh, was OK and one was spectacular. So I'll start with the one that was OK, which is the one I watched for this week which was uh, going back 20 years. It was a best documentary um, uh, nominee. It was called Lali's Kin, The Legacy of Cotton. Uh, first off, this movie was impossible to find. I had to go onto, uh, onto YouTube and find like a bootleg upload there uh, to watch it. Um, it's directed by Deborah Dixon, Susan Fromke, and Albert uh, Mazels. I'm going to go with that. Uh, brothers uh, yeah famous documentarians okay there we go so uh this is the story of um of a uh community in the mississippi river delta area in uh in mississippi uh and it tells the story of one a family and la lee is the uh is like the matriarch of the family um and how they're struggling to fight their way out of poverty and and just kind of live um in live a life that's worthwhile. And then the other side of the story is you have the superintendent of the school district there who is fighting to try and get his school more funding and off the probationary list because his students don't get the opportunities other students do. And because of that, their test scores are low. And because their test scores are low, they lose funding. So he's fighting to try and get the um, get their test scores up so they can get more funding so these kids can actually have a decent chance at life. Um, I don't know. It was okay. It, it, it's a compelling story and a great idea, but it wasn't very well executed. Um, I, I thought there were so many other ways you could have told the story that it didn't really explore. And it just kind of felt like a by the numbers kind of documentary, especially these slice of life documentaries, which pop up a lot. You're hoping you catch fire in a bottle and catch and catch something amazing going on. And this one didn't really do that. I, like I said, there's something there. It just wasn't great storytelling. I didn't feel I'm giving it two stars, um, which completes my 2001 um, documentaries. I would say this is definitely the worst of those of the five that were nominated. It, they definitely picked the right winner in Murder on a Sunday Morning in 2001. Uh, probably next would be Promises, which I just watched recently. Uh, then War Photographer and then Children Underground. So there's my... There's my rankings of 2001. Uh, have any of you guys seen seen Lali's Ken? Nope. No, but but Albert Mazel's, along with his brother David, was a great documentary filmmaker. He made Salesman and Gimme Shelter and Grey Gardens, probably the most famous of, oh, okay. of his. And I feel like I haven't even heard of this documentary. I'm wondering if if, if it was the name recognition of Mazel's that kind of made this that like, could be de facto nominee that year. It, well, in, it, in it was. Year. It was an HBO documentary, so it wasn't even like theatrically theatrically released. Um, so it was a made-for-TV documentary, and this is here's all you need to know about it. It was an HBO documentary that HBO doesn't carry anymore. Um, so th I think that says something about it. Um, it has a total of 227 um, ratings on IMDb. So obviously, well seen. It's okay. Now, the second one I watched is kind of a very similar theme, similar topic, but so much better well done. And it is the 2011 winner of Best Documentary, and that's Undefeated. 
Um, I loved this movie. So this is the movie, uh, or this is a story directed by Daniel Lindsay and TJ Martin. It tells a story of a high school football team in inner city Memphis and, uh, and the story of their coach and the team and this one season that they had. And it tells, uh, goes into some of the stories of the, the players really, uh, really in depth as well. The, the, um, the coach is, uh, is, uh, white man in this almost all black inner city school that is volunteering his time because he sees a need and he said, I can help and I'm going to volunteer my time and try and coach this football team because it will show them that they, that they can be a part of something great. And, and he does. And there, the goal is to try and get them to the playoffs and win the first playoff game in their school's history. Um, you hear stories of like OC, who is this incredible offensive lineman that ends up playing D1 football. Um, you hear the story of Money, who is uh, just all heart and a uh, great, um, great student, but um, fighting against the idea that he his family doesn't have any money and he's probably not going to have to gonna get to go to college. And then you have someone like Chavis, who is... Uh, who gets out of juvie just in time to start the football season. And as soon as he shows up, he starts to tear the team apart because of anger issues. Uh, It is like hoop dreams meets remember the Titans. And it is, it is brilliant in how it tells this story. And, and, uh, and I, I loved it. Four stars. It's, it's in my top 10 of 2011 now, or actually I think it's 2012 technically, but um, it's in my top 10. It's a great, great documentary and once again they picked the right one to win uh that year uh looking at the other ones well i still have one more to watch from uh from 2011 but it's the best so far uh have have and todd i think you've seen undefeated zach have you seen it i have not okay. somehow you, you need to it's on netflix easy to find you need to watch it you need to watch it like literally it's it's the football version of hoop dreams well, what's your thoughts about it todd I mean, I like it. I don't. I don't think it's as good as Terry's making it out to be, just because I think it, 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 it uh, becomes a little in, uh, more inspirational than, than uh, like the real, like like a hoop dreams kind of thing. But I mean, at the at the in the same case, that is what the move the story is. I don't know. I mean, I, I liked it. I give it three stars, but I, it's been a bit since I've watched it. Definitely worth a watch, Zach, if you haven't watched it. All right, so I'm looking at my 2011 list, and I I have one documentary in my top 10 that actually two documentaries. My bad. One is Project Nim about the the monkey, which mm. is a great documentary. Actually moved me to tears when I saw it because I can't I can't watch movies about animal cruelty. And uh, the other one is the Werner Herzog documentary um, Into the Abyss about a death row inmates. I'm I'm assuming that neither of those were nominated, but those I remember pretty strongly as as great documentaries. So 2011 must have missed the mark with those two. Yeah, that did. So Undefeated, for whatever reason, Undefeated didn't actually get a release until 2012. So it's a 2012 movie. It's in my top 10 of 2012. Uh, but uh, the nominees that year, so Undefeated won. Hell and Back Again, which is the one I still need to watch. That's coming up in a couple weeks. Um, then if a tree falls, a story of the earth liberation front, which was uh, about, yeah, I remember yeah, when you reviewed that, that had some yeah. Eugene connections. It yeah. did have Eugene connections. Yeah. It was okay. Uh, paradise lost three was in there, which was more, um, honoring the whole series and not necessarily the third one, which was, well, the first one was by far the best. The third one was pretty good. And the second one was okay. 
and then Pina, which was, I believe, Wim Wenders, Wim Benders, right? Yeah. yeah, Wim Wenders. And uh, that one, I mean, it, it's it's a dancing documentary, and it just shows dancing sequences over and over again. I don't know if it necessarily even should be considered a documentary. It is part of the Criterion Collection. It is, yep. It is. It is Criterion. Probably so. more no, more of an honor, a badge of honor than the documentary nomination. At this point, probably, probably. But yeah, I it, it was one. It just was redoing uh, one choreographer's dance numbers. So I don't even know why that's considered a documentary. Anyways, but uh, but yeah, undefeated by far the best one of that year so far. I still have to watch Helen back again. So we'll see after I watch that. Okay. Todd, what did you watch? Uh, a couple of things I want to talk about. The first one is my Matt Dillon movie, of course. And it of is course. the 2005 Mitch Rouse movie called Employee of the Month. Uh-huh. And uh, he plays this guy named Dave. He's sort of in a tough spot. He gets fired from his job. His fiance leaves him and he's just generally can't catch a break. It's like a really mean comedy, but it, I mean, it becomes something different when it gets to its climax for better or for worse. It feels like a Ben Stiller movie, honestly. I don't know how this didn't star like Ben Stiller and Matthew Lillard or something. <laughs> but at the time, Dylan was in a weird spot. I, I, no one would have ever thought Crash would have come from this guy with the type of movies he was making at the time, because this is a really weird comedy. It's, it's sort of awkward and uncomfortable, and it's definitely a mid-2000s comedy. It's got Steve Zahn. It's got Christina Applegate, Jenna Fisher, Dave Foley, the guy who always plays Hector that Terry loves. Yeah, it's like <laughs> mid-2000s through and through. And it's the only movie this guy ever directed, which, I mean, it, it played at Sundance, and then a year later it went direct to video. Which is weird because that nowadays that would be like a really high profile movie would do that. It's times have definitely changed, but uh, it's a weird movie and it becomes sort of like a Soderbergh movie in the end, which was unexpected and kind of out of nowhere. It's got 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a little harsh, but it needed to be better. And I'm just giving it one and a half stars. The other thing I want to talk about was uh, Belfast because I wanted to sort of break the tie. Oh, yes. Yes. Break the tie. Zach gave it two and a half stars. I. (laughs) I don't. I don't think this is the best picture front runner. It doesn't feel like any best picture winner. Like I, I feel like it mo- it's most like Life is Beautiful or something because it's it's about something really serious, but it tells it through the pro- pro- point of view of a child. And when everything going around all around him is more interesting than that, and I, it's almost like a Shane Meadows movie in that way, especially being uh, where the movie is shot. I, but it's got mood swings like it, it is it goes from being like a war movie to being like the damn near the sandlot at times and like van morrison should have gotten like a producing credit in this the same way like the, yes. the like a uh, the sparks brothers did in a net or something because it's ridiculous how many of their songs are there i think the first half is like a really good like three and a half star movie the second half's like a blah two stars so i'm not really breaking the time just going right between you at a, like a, a low to mid three star movie i mean we all knew that's what was coming right yeah yeah, no, no surprises there. <laughs> uh, but okay. I think if I had to choose, I would probably I'm a little bit more on Zach's side than Terry's side. I listened Thank to the review that you guys did again, and I'm Terry was a little bit higher than I would be. Listen, okay, of the two movies where Jamie Dornan breaks into song this year, one of which we're going to discuss <laughs> later, this was the better one. No, I'm sorry, this was the worst one. I'm sorry, the one that yeah, th- this was uh, not as good of a musical uh, interlude. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is one of the reasons why I, not only that it was Jamie Dornan, but he breaks into song in both of them. So um, this one did not involve a palm tree, believe it, it or not. It did not. It did not. Um, yeah, I, I had that life is beautiful vibe as well. That there was, you know, 
so much going on around but telling it through the child's eyes I, that just appeals to me more than than you guys i guess so how long till kenneth Branagh makes a western because apparently he loves him <laughs> yeah uh, seriously that's all he was watching right yeah pretty much <clears throat> and then shitty shitty bang bang oh yeah 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 and the man who shot liberty valance i don't know i, re- I really I really don't, uh, I really didn't like this movie. And I think part of my, like I, I said in my review, uh, the old people in the audience really swayed mm. me in, in one direction. But I just, I felt it was so like emotionally manipulative. And uh, that kid was way too freaking cute. I wanted to kind of punch him. I'm sorry. But like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, I didn't think it was that. I think the directing was a little <laughs> intrusive. Like he kept cutting at weird spots, and he would yeah. have like really oh, creative yeah. angles. And I'm like, he, he's trying to. He's trying, drawing really hard. If this movie was released on Netflix in April, no one would watch it. I don't know about nobody, but yeah. I mean, it's a Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh is a, a huge name. He's been nominated for like, every though? category. Like, I, I mean, is he really that talented of a, of a filmmaker? Like, I like Dead Again and I like Hamlet, but that's about it. And I mean, he, I guess he was okay Henry in the Tenet. Is really good. Oh, I've never seen that. Okay, I guess that was sort of his one of his breakthrough movies. Which one? Henry, Henry V. Oh, Henry V. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I went into Belfast thinking that it was maybe the front runner, but after watching it, I don't. I have a hard time believing that Oscar voters are really going to pick that over, in spite even with the TIFF win. Like, what are your thoughts, Todd? Like, I feel like it actually. I feel like Power of the Dog. After I saw it, Power of the Dog moves moves up to the front runner spot. Well, I mean, I haven't seen that yet, but I, I, I I've had that as a front runner since January, so I'd have to. I say I have to. I'm like contractually obligated to stick with that, but self-promotion I, yeah I, like it. Um, <laughs> I don't know I, I i never thought like i never felt watching belfast that i was watching the best picture winner and i like every year i kind of have other than parasite because i never thought that was actually possible well i'm sure we'll talk more about that next week because uh power of the dog comes out this week and i'm sure that's what we'll be uh reviewing then but let's talk about what we're reviewing today. With us taking a week off, there was a lot that came out, so we're going to be reviewing two different movies, one that came out this week, one that came out last week. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. you got to see it. Movie reviews. Uh, both are, are high-profile movies um, that uh, have had a lot of buzz kind of working uh through the series the 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 season the oscar season we have here so we're gonna start with house of gucci which is uh ridley scott's second film of the year it was a name that sounded so sweet so seductive synonymous with words style power but that name was a curse too I've been the Gucci all my life. Your name is in the history books. Paolo, you are Gucci, you need to dress the part. It's chic. Gucci needs new blood. It's time to take out the trash. They're my family. So am I. You picked the real firecracker. She's a handful. Bravo. 
don't consider myself to be a particularly ethical person, but I am fair. Can you keep a secret? Father, son, and house of Gucci. Zach, you're gonna start talking about house of gucci todd and i actually saw this together and shared yeah, our initial I'm, thoughts already okay I, I, I have lots of questions but i think we've talked about this before but i'm curious what your policy is when you go see movies together whether you fraternize or you know like so so the way the way this worked was yeah it, yeah the way this worked was we we left and todd immediately had to um had to uh quote alan arkin in glengarry glenn ross and say are we talking about this um oh, and Gestapo then, tactics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we kept it we I think we talked for maybe two minutes and kept it very vague. And that was about it. Okay. But we know our initial thoughts. So Zach, since we don't know what you're thinking, you're gonna tell us what it's about and what you thought. <laughs> you if ever you, know if what you I'm can. Thinking? If you well, okay. yeah, I mean, yeah. House of Gucci is uh, I'm looking here, it's the four hundred and thirty second film directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, he's been working a long time. He's been working 37 years, like Martin Scorsese. Uh, he uh, t uh, apparently, um, uh, this is based on a book uh, called House of Gucci uh, about uh, the Gucci family. Now, I don't know about you guys. I was not really familiar with the Gucci uh, family's uh, drama prior to this movie kind of going nope. in. Um, I'm sure there are Gucci aficionados out there. Uh, but uh, I, I was not familiar with the story. Uh, the movie stars Lady Gaga and Adam Driver as the uh, main characters in the movie. Patricia Reggiani, who's played by Lady Gaga, she kind of marries into the Gucci family. And Maurizio Gucci, who's played by Adam Driver, is the son of uh, Rodolfo Gucci, played by Jeremy Irons. I guess he was sort of the founder, the main kind of guy of Gucci. At the beginning of the movie, uh, Maurizio is sort of caught in between. He doesn't really know whether he's interested in pursuing a career with his family. Jeremy Irons tells him very early on that this woman is no good for him. She's only after his money, but he sort of defies his father a little bit. Um, but it's pretty clear that Lady Gaga is at, at, at just a uh, social uh, cl ladder climber. Uh, she is really, at least initially, only interested in kind of the Gucci name and the appeal of that and the, the, maybe the riches and the fortune that will come to her uh, through marrying Adam Driver, who is content at a certain level to just work for, uh, you know, this gas station. And, you know, there's a great scene. But one of the best water fights in any movie of 2021, I got to say. Um, Anyway, House of Gucci is uh, basically a look at about uh, just under 20 years of their marriage and how the Gucci brand uh, changes over time. And, uh, you know, it is a Ridley Scott movie. It feels a lot like all the money in the world. It feels like, uh, you know, it's, it's a look at this kind of opulent uh, lifestyle of these extremely elite privileged people who had um, a lot of money, a lot of drama in their lives. And... Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'll be honest, uh, the, the interest level waned for me pretty early on in this movie. Uh, I, I did fall asleep a couple times in it. Um, and uh, I got to say, though, um, you know, the actors, uh, they, they swung, man. They, they were swinging for the fences in this movie. We got Jared Leto and Al Pacino. Uh, who, you know, are, are uh, whether you want to use the, the allegories as swinging for, for the fence or, or jacking up a three off the bench, I don't know, whatever illusion you want to use, they are going for it all. And uh, 
I thought this movie was terrible. I'll just be honest. It, it was um, unending. It's just under three hours long. I wondered uh, going into the movie why this wasn't a Ryan Murphy series with Sarah Paulson and Zachary Quinto. I did not get an definitive answer why this needed to be a movie, why this story needed to be told. Um, it does have a really kind of interesting conclusion, like in the last 30 minutes, that makes you think that, okay, I can kind of see why this movie could have been cinematic, why this story could have been cinematic, but let's have a little bit more creativity. Why not? Why is this movie so straightforward in its kind of melodramatic retelling of this? Let's get let's get some I, Tanya vibe going. Let's get some Alpha Dog vibe going. Let's get some narration. Let's get some interviews. Even like freaking Richard Linklater, Bernie sort of stuff. Um, in the hands of Steven Soderbergh or Coen Brothers, this could have been a great movie, but I think Sir Ridley, 84 years old, you know, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I was a big fan of, of The Last Duel. Neither of you were. But this movie just feels like it, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like the characters motivations are underscored in any way, uh, except that they're just rich, really vapid people. Um, and uh, I, I got to say, I, I was not impressed with with anything in this movie. Uh, it was uh, long, boring and even the climactic parts felt very, even the clima climax at the end felt anticlimactic. It felt very PG-13. Even Al Pacino saying, Konnichiwa, was a disappointment. Uh, Jared Leto. Great impression, by the way. Uh, thank you. Thank you. My hands are on fire. We needed more of that. I think we actually needed more Pacino, more Jared Leto in this movie. I mean, there are scenes in this movie where uh, they are just kind of wandering around. One scene, they're like looking for their car for no reason whatsoever. It's almost as though they were like contractually obligated to have, you know, over a certain amount of screen time in it. Um, there are some there are some fun moments. There's a great photo shoot with Adam Driver that feels like a segment from SNL. Um, there are there's a great scene where there's a dog in the background drinking out of a, a, a out of a fountain. Um, there's a good Christmas scene where they give their daughter a gift that I was really fascinated by. Did you guys catch on this? It was some sort of ball that had colors and, and it said the name of the color and then you press the button on the ball. Anyway, that should tell you what I was interested in this movie because there was nothing interesting about this movie. Uh, it was incredibly boring. Um, it felt like a fantasy football team in a auction draft that wasted all $200 on the first five picks. There's only five characters in this movie, even though apparently this is an expansive empire that the movie doesn't have any interest in actually showing. Um, just because Ridley Scott and his editor decided to make these long, drawn-out cuts that are 30-second takes of reaction shots doesn't make the, the, the story more resonant. It doesn't make the emotion more real. And the Italian accents are horrible in this movie. Paradiso! Chocolato! My final question before I let you guys kind of intervene here is, listen, I, we got like, you know, you, you know, like Schindler's List. You know, Schindler's List was a movie set in Nazi Germany and the characters were ostensibly speaking German, uh, but with accents. In this movie, I was under the impression that these were Italian people that were speaking with Italian accents just for the sake of the movie because they didn't want to actually have Italian people speaking in it. But then there's a scene later in the movie where there are characters speaking in, in Italian so that Adam Driver doesn't understand what they're saying. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, I thought he was speaking Italian. I, I'm lost, I'm confused, I hated this movie. This rivals uh, uh, Space Jam. It doesn't have IP like Space Jam does, but it's one star, it's one of the worst movies of the year. Awful in every respect. All right. All right. Todd, I'll let you follow that up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. 
I agree. <laughs> like, I think the first thing I said to Terry was, what the hell was that? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what the first thing you said. So, I mean, this is one of the worst action movies I've ever seen. Every yes. single actor is terrible, except for maybe Jack Houston. He's like the Tom Hagen of the Gucci family, and he doesn't overplay anything, but he gets kind of lost in the train wreck of the, of, uh, of the movie. And Jared Leto, I mean, I don't know what he was doing. His voice is so weird. His body language is just ridiculous. But I, I wanted more of him. Like, he's born mm. to be in front of the camera. He's doing whatever he wanted to do. And he's probably going to get nominated for this, which I'm okay with because I'm a fan. But, like, he's in his own world. And I, I, I honestly don't know what he was going for, but I, I kind of liked it. Al Pacino is awful. He gives one of his five worst performances. <laughs> this is, like, righteous kill level bad Pacino. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, like you said, this is a spiced up Ryan Murphy kind of thing. But I mean, that would give American Crime Story a bad name, which I don't want to do. Like, it might as well have been like a song and dance, honestly. Like, it's that far removed from reality. It just, I mean, it, it thinks it's Itania. It thinks it's American Hustle. But it's like incomprehensible, despite having damn near three hours to establish something. And it never did. And has no interest in the accuracy. It's just like, just like playing along with fancy clothes. And then like, you know, Jared Leto in some fat suit exaggerated drunken fredo channeling buffoon which i mean i wanted i wanted more of him he could have been the whole movie honestly the soundtrack also i thought was something that stood out as being awful awful like it's just this blasting blondie and george michael throughout the movie like playing the entire songs too which i have no idea why there was montage after montage it's like they had no story they were just like doing some doing something i don't know if it was supposed to be a comedy but it kind of felt like it but really scott believe it or not he's only made 28 movies but I, which seems like a lot more than that, but I've only given thumbs up to maybe a handful of them. He's, he, I don't think he ever had a way, but if he had a way, he has completely lost it. And he, he's not Clint. He shouldn't be making two movies a year at age 84. Uh, yeah. I mean, despite him being an Oscar nominated director, he, he should not be able to survive bloated bombs like this one. And the, the movie's dumb. It's bad. It's like really, really bad. And the actors are terrible. The screenplay is atrocious. Those whining, exaggerated Italian accents should be considered racist at some point, right? Like, yes. I mean, and I, I don't know. The only thing that kept me from going all the way down with this movie is the fact that I actually was watching it for 157 minutes. So I was never really bored, but I kind of hated myself for putting up with it. It's like, it's this year's Hillbilly Elegy. It's one star. Yeah, I've got it at one and a half, but I'm right. I'm right there with you guys. I didn't think Pacino was was horrible he had the um, worst italian accent of all of them <laughs> well yeah but i'm wor- worse than leto i mean i i, I told todd this, leto, leto pur- not- he purred like a kitten at times it, blah, I, I can't do that with he, my mouth but he, he he very much indulged in that i told todd jared leto was a cross between uh christopher walken and super mario like if you combine those yeah. two together you have whatever the hell he was doing Okay, um, well, the worst well, Lady Gaga Italian was Jeremy tra- Irons because he didn't even try. Yeah, yeah. Lady Gaga, I, I mean, she it, 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 you, it though, worked for a little bit, about. and then and then you just got tired of the shtick. Um, Adam Driver was looked bored with the entire thing. Um, except when he's riding that bike. Except when he was riding that bike, he was. I was intrigued. By he that. was enjoying <laughs> that. Um, yeah, I. It seemed like they decided to skip over all character development and and just like show highlights. I had no idea Selma Hayek was in this movie. Also, that was another thing. I was like, wait, where yeah. where did she come from? Um it, but yeah, I mean, like the whole thing, Adam Driver's character, he's like, Oh, I don't want anything to do with the family. I'm gonna go work at this thing. 
and then all of a sudden he is the everything and that's his entire life is 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 and it's like when did that happen you didn't explain the process of how that happened just because his wife said you should be and now all of a sudden that's all he cares about in his life it doesn't make any sense you you threw away all character development just to do this um as it started i'm like okay i i I, for the actually i'll back up i didn't think this looked good from the get-go like from the trailer, I'm like, this yeah. looks pretty horrible. No, I, t- I texted Todd back in August. I was like, this trailer looks awful, man. This yeah. is getting like, mm-hmm. this is going to get terrible reviews. And and um and what I, one thing I thought as it was starting, I said, okay, it, it the best this can do, like it, its absolute best day is this is American Gangster, which was a great or, or a really good movie, but forgettable. That was the best it could do. Instead, it's a bad movie, and I mean, maybe not forgettable because of how bad it was. I mean, it's one of those movies you can. This might be a movie we go back and deep dive in ten years because we could <laughs> laugh at it because it's just so bad. Yeah. Um, one thing I was thinking though, you know who needed to direct this movie was Tom Ford. Can yeah. you imagine this movie yeah. in Tom mm-hmm. Ford's hands? That mm-hmm. would have been a good movie because you actually would have had someone who cared about. Gucci. <laughs> I mean, Ridley Scott obviously didn't care at all about what he was actually talking about. It, it was, yeah, it was a mess. It was a mess. Yeah, Ridley Scott, all he cared about was just watching Jared Leto for like five minutes, like sitting on a couch or doing whatever. It's like, well, I mean, he knew he didn't the, have the, much else beyond that. So The best in the cast was Jeremy Irons because he had he he was able to die halfway through instead of have to live to the end of this movie. He didn't even try an accent though. Like he he didn't even try. It just was Jeremy dying. Irons, which made him yeah. which made it fine. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I agree with everything you say. How come the assassin wasn't played by Paul Walter Hauser? That would have made the movie much better. Um, I have a couple questions I want to ask you guys. Okay, well, not not questions. They're more points. The editing in this movie was awful. So Adam Driver at, at one point in this movie gets arrested. He's ta- he's taken in by the police. They arrest him. And the next scene, he's free and riding his bike back to the house. Do you guys notice? I think it was his car, actually. And we never know why he was arrested. Although eventually, I think later we do. And we never know how he got out. Like, this is on par with, like, Once Upon a Time in America theatrical cut editing like that is awful how does someone get arrested and then is immediately freed now eventually we find out why he was arrested which had to do with the father's inheritance tax which they didn't sign off on although i think they forged which they never showed in the movie and adam driver even says at a certain point okay well we'll just sign off on it you know i don't really care if we lose the money why then why didn't they sign off on it why did they why did they forge it it totally Totally uh, abysmal, inexplicable. And then I also have to add this other one thing, and this is a kind of a spoiler. I've never seen a movie that like this that shows this kind of chronological journey of characters where two of the main characters die in the movie, but they never show it. And so like the movie ends in 1995 and it says, this person died in 1990. Why didn't you show I know. it? I thought that too. <laughs> You showed them lost in the airport. You couldn't show their death. 
like what i've never seen that before like at the end of goodfellas it's like you know he's in uh he's at prison you know and he's serving his life since he died in 19 no this person died before the movie ends and they didn't show it like what the hell what is what i'm so lost and confused ridley scott help me out here oh i didn't even put that together but that's hilarious um well and then and i think we talked about this also when when we reviewed the last duel i think it had a lot of the same problems in that it left out huge plot points and and there were whole like concepts that were not just left on the cutting room floor and we had to just kind of guess what happened in between and i mean so it's something with ridley scott right now and then todd mentioned the soundtrack and and i mentioned (laughs) i was like songs that were made after the scene that exactly they take place in i I was i was telling todd nothing nothing uh nothing screams 70s italian wedding quite like george michael is this like a night tale or something (laughs) like were they they must have deliberately been trying to do that i don't know it it's just a mess here's what they needed to do i mean look we 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 have a lot of they should have come to us first of all okay they should have said this movie's a mess come on almost sideways.com how can you fix this my suggestion would have been let's make the whole movie gaga and salma hayek in a mud bath just you know like one a 90 minute movie just their scene in a mud bath that would have been great i would have loved that you know it would it would have worked it would have worked so, so uh, our friend Adam, I put out a quote, if anyone had any questions on, on Twitter, and Adam threw one out there and just simply said, is it wrong to say Ridley Scott is overrated now? No. He's never, he was never. <laughs> he was never he's, rated? <laughs> he's always been, yeah, he's always been overrated. He was never, never not overrated. He made Exodus Gods and Kings, okay? That's yes. all you need to know about Ridley Scott. And The Counselor. <laughs> so and, here, here's yeah. the thing, though. Here's the thing with with Ridley Scott that that really bothers me at this point. He uh, it was making its rounds around Twitter in the last couple weeks, and and everyone's like, why why do we keep asking these questions? But he, people asked him, what do you think of MCU movies? And he said they're horrible because they don't. None of them have ever had a good script. Their scripts are crap, and that's and so they're all horrible movies. You just put out two movies this year where the scripts are probably the biggest problem with the movie. And and you're going to you're going to criticize other movies for horrible scripts when you're putting out this garbage. So there's that. Well, and then and then the other thing he was asked, well, why do you think Last Duel did, um, had a bad um, had a bad run in the in the uh, in the theaters? And he said, oh, it's this whole generation now that can't stay off their cell phones. <laughs> That, that's like literally that what he said. I'm like, yeah. dude, how out of touch do you have to be <laughs> if you think that House of Gucci, the movie you just made, is good, and the only reason people are going to say no is because they were on their cell phones the whole time? Listen, I mean, I, I like The Last Duel. I, I was the one on this podcast who liked it. It's definitely I, better than House of Gucci, but... He's never been a writer. He is a scenarist. He is uh, someone who likes to go on vacations and go film, like with Russell Crowe in Tuscany or wherever the hell he filmed that uh he made one great movie and we will deep dive that in two years but other than that there's not a whole lot on his resume among his movies coming up are gladiator 2 and untitled alien prequel so yeah that's all he really has run out of things to do his his best movie or his his best picture win 
might be I, I'm what maybe bottom three best pictures of this of this century. All time. I, I would go all time. Yeah. It, it so yeah. I, I don't know what I don't know what's going on here. Let, but listen, the solution, team him up with Nicolas Cage. That is the way to resuscitate your career. There you go. There you go. I, I'll 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 end it with this. Uh, Ridley Scott is is proof of why Quentin Tarantino's right in stopping his filmography after ten movies. Yeah, well, let's see here. Ridley Scott's tenth movie was GI Jane. So, <laughs> so he well, then, before that, a while ago. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. Because we've got more to talk about. Uh, we've got a second movie to look at. This movie came out a week ago. Uh, and it is in theaters on HBO Max. Uh, it is King Richard. What's going on? Everybody okay? They got a call. Said there was trouble in the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you all need to look around. It's a little wet for practice, don't you think? Don't the girls have schoolwork to do? They do their homework. Tundi's first in her class. Lynn and Isha are too. Now I don't even mind you saying we hard on these kids. You know why? Because we are. That's our job, to keep them off these streets. You want to check on the kids? Let's check on the kids. We got future doctors and lawyers, plus a couple tennis stars in this house. The chances of achieving the kind of success that you're talking about is just very, very unlikely. Okay, you're making a mistake, but I'm going to let you make it. Watch me hit a few balls. All right. So tell me your names again. I'm Venus. I'm Serena. So what'd you think? I wrote me a 78-page plan for their whole career before they was even born. Yeah, baby, yeah! <laughs> These girls are so great, how come I've never heard them? They're from Compton. It's okay. They're just not used to seeing good-looking peoples like us. She's nervous. Take a step up. Maybe she ought to take a few more steps up. Just get someplace safe. I think you might just have the next Michael Jordan. Oh, no, brother man. I got me the next, too. This next step you got to take. You're not going to just be representing you. You're going to be representing every little black girl on Earth. They're not going to let you doubt. How could you? This world ain't never had no respect for Richard Williams, but they're going to respect y'all. Oh. You don't walk out there with your head up. You are a champion, and the whole world knows it. The most dangerous creature on this whole earth. It's a woman who know how to think. Yes, Daddy. Ain't nothing she can't do. You gonna show them how dangerous you are? and Serena gonna shake up this world. Venus Williams, who is your best friend? You, Daddy. Serena Williams, who is your best friend? Venus. Then you. That's then you. After Venus. Uh, starring Will Smith, directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green. I'm gonna start talking about this one because apparently Zach already knows what I think of this movie. Um, oh, yeah. And then we're gonna see uh, what everybody else thinks. So Go, go to me next, though. Okay, I'll go to you next. So King Richard is, uh, like I said, starring Will Smith, and it is a story of uh, the uh, the growing up of Venus and Serena Williams, and Will Smith plays their father, Richard Williams, 
hence King Richard, who play who planned out their entire life uh, ahead of, but like before they were born, and uh, and planned out that they were going to be these tennis stars, and uh, instilled in them this work ethic that has that carried them into being two of the greatest tennis players of all time. And so you're you're seeing them in in their um, preteen and teen years as they're um, as they're training and then finding coaches. And as you see his his plan, uh, Richard's plan work itself out. Um, the uh, mother is played by uh, Anjanou uh, Ellis. Uh, the girls are played by uh, Sania Sidney and Demi Singleton. Uh, you've got appearances by Tony Goldwyn and John Bernthal as the coaches. Um, I loved this movie. I, I I thought this movie was was amazing. I as I'm watching it, it it is all right. We just talked about House of Gucci. House of Gucci was two and a half hours and could have been one and a half hours and and been able to do the exact same thing. This is a two hour and twenty four minute movie that is possibly the shortest two hour and twenty four minute movie I've ever watched because it just flies by. The action is great. It never it never has a down moment. It just keeps it, it keeps moving at a great pace. Uh, Will Smith is incredible. Gives one of his greatest performances of all time. Uh, he he's he is uh, he shows that he's still got it, even though he hasn't shown that in a while. Uh, the girls are incredible in this. The ones that are playing Venus and Serena, they give amazing performances as well. Uh, and uh, and the the pa- like I said, the pacing is great. The um, the acting is great. I as I got done with them, like this is gonna be a crowd pleaser a um a universally loved movie i love this movie uh, four stars it's a four star movie for me i i i had trouble finding movies that were better put together and just a a better experience than than king richard and so uh four stars for me i i, I loved it i loved it and even the way it ends, I loved how I, it's 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 great. It's great. So that's where I'm at, Zach. And, I'm and, going to you next. And you dared question whether I knew what I would think. I know, that, I know, I know how you would uh, review this movie. Uh, at this point, I've seen about 2,800 movies. Look at my list right here, all time. Uh, not as many as Todd, obviously. About um, half of Todd's list, I think. I would say of the 2,800 movies, I have never been as torn about a movie as I've been with this one. Um, I agree with a lot of what Terry says. I think Will Smith is brilliant in this movie. If he does win the Oscar, so be it. He's had a great career. I guess I don't really have any problems with it. I guess we'll have to see until wait until what you know how Benedict Cumberbatch's performance is. But he's great in this movie. I, I can't deny that. Um, it did flow flow pretty nicely for a two hour and 25 minute movie. Uh, there wasn't a lot of boredom in it. It was interesting. Um, it moved nicely. The problem that I have with it is the same problem that I kind of made fun of a, a few weeks ago. Uh, this movie shouldn't have been about Richard Williams. It should have been about Venus and Serena Williams. Now, I get that Venus and Serena were producers of this movie. I get that they signed off on it. I'm not going to try to insert, you know, how I think they should have told their story. But honestly, I was prepared to watch a movie about Richard Williams. 
Um, I was prepared to accept the fact that their, their father was a complex figure. And even in spite of all that, I still watched this movie thinking that the side characters were way more interesting from, from a dramatic standpoint than King Richard was. For example, let's take the character of Venus Williams, who I think is brilliantly played by Sanaya Sidney in this movie, mm -hmm. deserves a supporting actress nomination, at this point at least. Um, this is a girl who is 14 years old and does not play in competitive matches. I cannot imagine with the talent and the precision and the dedication that she has to tennis, the frustration that that must have imposed on her let alone the fact that she is living with her family in Florida away from the life that she had in California. Let's take Serena Williams, played in this movie, I think, brilliantly by Demi Singleton. These are two amazing actresses. Mm -hmm. She is second fiddle to her sister. And what do we get? One scene with King Richard going up to her and saying, Venus is going to be number one, but you're going to be the greatest of all time. That's it. That's all we get for arguably the greatest female athlete of all time. That's it. That's all we're getting. Um, King Richard has a great scene where he makes the girls watch Cinderella and he says, oh, actually, I'm just going to make you watch it twice because you didn't understand the point of this. I think King Richard actually would have made a pretty good film critic. Uh, and he says that what the girls didn't understand was modesty and humbleness. And then flash forward to about 45 minutes later in this movie, when he is turning down a check for $3 million. <laughs> now, listen, I think that it's not so much that I object to that contradiction of character, because I think that could have been brought out in a really fascinating way by a better director and by, frankly, a better actor. We love Will Smith. We're rooting for, for him in, in this whole movie. And yet that is a contradiction that the movie doesn't ever really address because it is only content to make King Richard a hero. It doesn't show him in any sort of uh, controversial or uh, distinctive light because we know the end of the story. I think it kind of takes the easy route. It doesn't really address. Um, yeah, I think this movie could have been really interesting from like a whiplash standpoint or like a, even an I we mentioned Itania. Like, there's a great scene in Itania that I thought of in this movie, which is when you know the Allison Janney character says, "I did this for you. I I was abusive because I had to be abusive," and this movie doesn't. It, it, it's just it doesn't have that sort of resonance because it makes King Richard too nice and too pure. And we know the end of the story. And so for that reason, I am so torn with this movie. I give it two and a half stars, but I'm dying to hear oh. what Todd thinks of it. First off, I, I, under, I understand where, where you're coming out with this. And uh, I think it does show some of the complexities, but it could have gone into it further. Um, I, what I find fascinating is you had this complex figure and that, you know, ruled almost tyrannically over these girls' lives, yet still was able to instill the drive that this became, I feel like, yes, you're right. It was, it was Richard Williams' story and not Venus and Serena's. But as the movie goes along, as you get to the end of it, it, it turns and it becomes Venus's story. It's not Richard's story anymore because she takes the reins and says, no, this is what I want. And I thought that I thought that is really where where the movie worked the best. All right, Todd, what did you think? I mean, I, I agree with Zach in some ways. Like, yeah, it is really uncontroversial. If you know anything about Richard Williams, he's way more like controversial than they make it seem like he had like five baby mamas. He left his wife for a woman that was Venus's age. You know, like, I mean, those kind of things would have made him more relatable. but. 
we don't get any of anything like that because they just want him to be like this guy who seems like he's been persecuted his whole life and is really safe and watered down because you know the sisters were the producers and i, I guess i get that but honestly this story is resonant now because this is the story of lavar ball right i mean it's the exact same thing <laughs> yes and, but i mean i don't know Will Smith is fascinating to watch. He's got this like Jerry Maguire kind of charisma that and energy that's really infectious. Like there's a lot of pursuit of happiness in here, not just because of how he plays it, because but because of the story arc and like his parenting and all that. But this is, I mean, the movie is like sappy to an extent, but not to the uh, extent of being like the blind side or something where, uh, where it's like almost idyllic and, and whatnot. But he's sort of a bad parent right like he pushes his children to the point that they like to, to like live for tennis and he put buddy buddy i mean he makes the what's best for his family but he makes questionable choice after questionable choice which is why i love the john bernthal character because he looks at richard the way that we look at howard ratner when watching that cut gems it's like see, what the hell are you doing why you got to continue doubling down it's painful to watch he was stressed the whole time i thought john bernthal was awesome isn't um, he great yeah yeah, um, like, you, you, you were you were giving me Arno. you were giving me crap of saying why, how could how could he possibly be a supporting actor actor look and is he's legit he's got a legit chance at a supporting actor nomination here. I mean, I I guess I will I I I would like to see that if <laughs> if that's actually possible. Yeah, uh, the daughters I I think they have the mannerisms and posture and like they look a lot like him when they play. But I don't think they look or sound anything like them. But I mean, they are they are really good actors, even though I've never seen them before. Uh, this is also one weird sports movie where it gives me no desire to ever play the sport. I I don't think I've ever felt mm. that coming out of a, like an inspirational sports movie before. It 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 shows, but it shows the roundabout way of getting to success. I'm sure American Underdog, the which is the Kurt Warner story coming out on Christmas. I'm sure that'll be the same way. It'll it'll be like having your own detour way to the top kind of thing that's always fun to see but what makes it different than a normal disney kind of sports movie is the fact that i think the cinematography and the directing is actually really good it's sort of like moneyball in that way where which is also uh like uh similar because we were we were old enough to know what this story was and we remember it happening so it's easier to critique like little things which is like the only drawbacks of moneyball but this isn't exactly my kind of thing. It's a really rousing crowd pleaser, but it's so sincere and it makes no apologies for like pulling at your heartstrings, even though it kind of like fudges with the details a bit. I'm giving it three stars, but I mean, I could see both both of you. Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm basically right in the middle, yeah. Oh come on, you you know you you picked me earlier, man. Who who's closer with this movie? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess technically I'm closer to your rating of it, so I guess. <laughs> There we go. 2-0, and o, baby. Yeah. I, I can't give it four stars. Money, because, baby. I mean, that's like... And th- this doesn't feel like a Best Picture nominee either, honestly. I I don't... I mean, I think I think it's it's a universal... It'll be a universally loved crowd pleaser that could end but up with that Best Picture But can you see this being a contender in a screenplay category? I can't. Or in a directing category? I can't. What, what is no. it going to be? Best Actor? And best picture, it, it's not the blind side. The blind side was because it's a bad year. But the, I mean, blind side was a bad year. This is a really wide open year, though. I mean, if we're looking like Belfast is the is kind of the the front runner right now, just by default, 
And then you've got movies like Power of the Dog, which from all indications is a great movie, but not a very accessible movie. And we'll find out again more about that next week. Well, Nomadland wasn't either. I th- I think, I don't know if you could necessarily say that. I don't know. I, 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 I think that I could see this getting into that best, best picture conversation, but I, I like your points of it. It, it could have been blindside. Like it very easily could have been blindside. It's not blindside at all. It, it's so much better and has so much more going for it than something like that. This is what blindside should have been. I just don't know how you watch this movie having seen I, Tanya and whiplash and knowing the complexity of those characters and then give it four stars. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to push on the four star thing, but like, right. The, the, this movie had a great opportunity to be complex, to be really fascinating. And I don't know if it's that the Williams sisters produced. I don't know if it was that the fact that Will Smith got $40 million for this role. I don't know if it's the director, also the director of Joe Bell, a movie with similar problems to this movie. You know, this adulation, this hero worship of this father figure that really shouldn't have been the main character of the story. But I feel like it's an opportunity lost. Uh, as one great critic, critic quoted, and I'm stealing it from him, the ends justify the means because we know the ends. And that's my fundamental problem with this movie. But I think that has to that also has to play a part in it. Like you're saying, oh, why isn't it I, Tanya? Well, it's not I, Tanya because Tanya ended up in celebrity boxing. And this ended up in two of the greatest tennis players of all time. I mean, it, it's the, the ending kind of can can justify how the story is told. And absolutely, it could have gone into more warts and all of the of what the story was. But I think it went into enough of them to for you to understand that this guy didn't necessarily do the right thing all the time. But somehow it worked. And and somehow he didn't raise kids that were like I thought it was fascinating how it kept on showing like Venus and Serena, Serena, Jennifer Capriati, and how Capriati ended up burnt out and and uh, and doing all the things you would expect from a movie like an Itania or a Whiplash. And you had Venus and Serena who somehow were able to almost overcome what was placed in front of them and their upbringing to accept what their father ordained for them and and uh take it on as their own and have this drive that nobody else can even come close to right it's a great story but is that a good message (laughs) well (laughs) like it's almost like that documentary spellbound where like all these kids are just like you know they're they're like from the day they turn like five years old they're they're starting to spell and like that they they are going to be the spelling champion of, of the of the country or whatever and it's like like I feel like that's that's what they were pushed through. I guarantee, if they were being honest, Venus and Serena would say that they hated tennis at some point. Well, okay. So listen, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Terry. I think what's fascinating about this movie is I think they try to they they do push back a bit on Richard Williams, <laughs> and I think that is through the character of um, uh, Oracine Brandy Williams, played by. Yeah. Anjoy and Ellis and she has a really nice scene where she kind of confronts him in the kitchen of their house in Florida and says listen you're an idiot uh, you need to just stop what you're doing 
The problem, I guess, is that the movie is so sincere and earnest in the first 45 minutes in showing him as a dedicated father. I mean, this is a guy that gets beat up by the gangs. This is a guy that takes out his daughters in the rain, writes a 78 page, uh, you know, uh, uh, a thesis on the course that his daughters are going to take in his life. We're, we we are programmed uh, to uh, believe that he is a great father in the first 45 minutes. And I think that's the problem. It kind of sets us up to believing that everything he does is correct. I, and, and there's not a lot of doubt thrown in his face because the first 45 minutes establish him so clearly and we know the end of the story. So there's not a lot of room for doubt. And that was the problem I had with the movie. That aside, it is a good movie. I, I like it was an enjoyable fun movie to watch and in a way it's fascinating talking about these things like this movie to me is so much more interesting to talk about than like house of gucci or other bullshit because i think it raises some very serious questions and i think it, it i agree with todd that it's really well directed and well and well well photographed but like i just i feel like there's too many inconsistencies i don't know i'm i'm, I'm lost i'm lost at sea with this movie i don't get it uh, and and I, I love that it's it's got this conflicted view for you. And and you're right. It's definitely more interesting to talk about than <laughs> the other movie. It has no chocolato. Yeah, you know <laughs> that. You know what? That is what we needed. We needed Jared Leto. Can I ask, you, can I ask you a question, suit. Terry? Yeah. Actually, I'm not asking you one question. I'm asking you two questions because that was a line in that horrible piece of shit movie i don't know you guys didn't convince me I'm, I'm i'm staying with two and a half stars but listen if will smith will smith's gonna win the oscar for this movie i hope he thanks i don't think so. Chan oh he, what really oh, who's gonna win it over will smith are you kidding i I'm hope he thinks stalker, Chan stalker channing win. gets thanked in his speech i'm going plus 250 on that shit <laughs> his childhood crush well and didn't he, he was in six degrees of separation with her right yeah, well, didn't you see that, the interview that he said that he was in love with Stocker Channing? That's what no, I'm No, I didn't see that. Okay, sorry. Okay. okay. Anyways, you, was that the question? Yes. Okay, okay. So we've got, for King Richard, we've got four stars from me, three stars from Todd, two and a half from Zach, a very conflicted two and a half from Zach. It you know this movie elements. needs to be thrice approved, right? This movie should be thrice approved. I was giving, I was giving it a thumbs up in the first hour. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll have to. I mean, I mean, I it. think I think the, I, feel the bad about it. I think the second half deserves you know some elevation to get it to three stars, just because of Todd's comparison of John Bernthal looking at Will Smith <laughs> like it's Howie from <laughs> from Uncut Gems. That I was mean, a great comparison. It is great. It's great. All right, he's gonna think about it. Well, let's move on to power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. All right, so power rankings this time. <laughs> Very Todd won last time. And, uh, and he decided to give the honor of picking our category to Adam. And, and uh, to... Much to Zach's chagrin, because he hates this category, but we're going to go with it. And so this category is the best holiday films of all time, but you can't do a Christmas movie. Because we did a do, top five Christmas Because we did a top five Christmas movies already. Uh, you have to do one per holiday, 
and nothing from your top 100. Uh, that that I got that, Todd? Yeah. Okay. Okay. This was a lot harder than it act, than it sounds <laughs> at first. <laughs> oh, it, it sounds pretty hard, man. It, yeah. I, yeah. Just because you, I mean. No well, and holiday then, movie without Christmas movies or a then, top 100 movie. It's like, what what do you consider a holiday movie? And a different I mean, holiday? Each of them had to be a different set holiday. around a holiday. Like, there's like a million yeah, yeah. holidays. Right. Like, right. But, but it's, is it? And so, like, I, I texted Todd today and said, all right, is this, does holiday movie have to be set around the holiday? Or can it just be like, this is what you watch at this time of year? Like, there are a lot of, like, let's say there are a lot of Halloween movies that aren't necessarily Halloween movies. Like, Night of the Living Dead is a Halloween movie, but it has nothing to do with Halloween. So, could you pick that? And And so, we were kind of going with, set around the holidays which makes it even harder um so uh i don't know we'll see how this goes we'll see how this goes but uh i had a lot of fun actually putting together my list uh okay we ready we're gonna go to todd first okay my number five is my father's day uh selection and it's a movie i'll probably never mention again it is knock knock directed by eli wow. roth which is a really <laughs> uh, campy movie, but it's it's a really effective movie. It's got Keanu Reeves. He's like the uh, he's this guy on Father's Day, and with uh, and these two young women, one of which is like a really young Ana de Armas. Uh, they take him captive and they like extort him and rape him, and like pretty much his life gets completely upended. It's it's sort of funny games ish, sort of hard candy, but. And uh, usually Eli Roth makes these like really schlocky slashers, but this is like a really tap thriller and I think it's underrated and it, it really is prominently on Father's Day. And uh, I, yeah, like I said, I'll never mention it again, but uh, I don't think anyone else has seen it on our website, even Adam, which is a total Adam pick. <laughs> nice, nice. Maybe I'll have it on there just because. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even heard of this movie, so... There you go. There you go. All right. I'm going next. Uh, my number five. Hold on. I, I forgot to get it up here. Uh, my number five is my uh, pick for New Year's. The New Year's holiday. And, you know, if you have Times Square, you know I mean, when you think New Year's, you think Times Square, you think, you know, the ball dropping everyone in the hats and the streamers and everything singing old Lang Syne and, and nothing, nothing adds to that scene more than, than the statue of Liberty, lady Liberty herself walking oh, no. down the street Don't. to oh. go save wow. Peter Venkman from a ghost because who are you going to call it's ghostbusters too. That is That's not my a holiday movie. It is totally the final, like, half hour it takes place during new year's day new year's eve as the ball's dropping you've got lady liberty saving them from the crazed art man and his uh and his uh his crazy um painting that has come to life oh what was the name of the painting vigo this is vigo uh yeah um so it, it's an amazing movie i love that movie and i needed to mention it and uh i always watched ghostbusters too much more than ghostbusters when i was growing up 
and uh and it's a great one and uh yeah the the final scene i mean they're all they're in the lady liberty's head with a like a nes controller controlling her every move um you, you've got rick moranis trying to be a ghostbuster uh and and yeah it, it's it's amazing ghostbusters 2 new year's movie yeah, I was going to say, the, be- the best thing about that movie is, is Rick Moranis, who should have been in the original. He was in the original. Oh. I'm the Keymaster, are you the gatekeeper? He's in the original. Okay. Did you guys see that Adam saw the new Ghostbusters movie? Yes, and, and loved, loved it. it. Loved it. I, I, I need to watch it. If you're going to do a gimmick uh, New Year's movie, I thought it would have been Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3, that's more Christmas than New Year's. It's like Christmas. The, yeah, the it's party Christmas. At the beginning? It, it's Christmas. The party at the beginning is totally New Year's. Possibly my the the review I'm possibly most proud of is my Iron Man three review, where I wrote I rewrote Twas the Night Before Christmas. Uh, the entire <laughs> review is the Twas the Night Before Christmas poem telling you what I thought of Iron Man three. Okay, but was it as good as Frank Caliendo's ESPN Night Before Christmas poem? With featuring uh, Bob Lee and uh, Bill Walton and all the ESPN personalities, and, and I think it ended with Morgan Freeman. No, nothing's better than that. <laughs> um, all right, Zach, number five. Was it Morgan Freeman as a crab? Is what I'm wondering. Pro- probably not. <laughs> okay, uh, I hated this list, and then as I was watching House of Gucci and was really bored by it, falling asleep a couple times, I actually kind of liked this list because it was so freaking difficult to come up with anything. <laughs> is Adam a genius? I don't know. It, it was like torture, but it was like it was like a calculus class torture. Like it wasn't fun torture. It was like you actually learn something torture. Anyway, I learned a, a lot about myself on this list, and I, I learned that I hate American holidays on this list. So that's maybe the gimmick I might be going with. They don't have to be uh, American holidays. Exactly. That's what I realized. I had a breakthrough as I was getting through the third hour of House of Gucci, which is that I, I didn't need to have a freaking Halloween movie. Okay. I, I, there are a lot of international holidays that a lot of foreign movies celebrate. Anyway. I am going to stick with the quintessential American holiday for my first pick as num- at number five, a movie that I think is the best Thanksgiving movie ever made, which Todd gave two stars to. It is Home for the Holidays. I have to mention it because I actually watched it this week. I watched it every Thanksgiving. It was my mom. It was my mom's probably her favorite movie. My mom and I didn't always have simpatico film tastes, but that one we we both liked and understood and kind of loved and it is a great movie directed by jody foster starring holly hunter as claudia who is a failed artist who comes home from the windy city chicago to her parents house in baltimore her parents are played by charles derning and Anne bancroft and uh oh man i love this movie uh it is uh so fabulous she has two siblings in this movie one is uh, robert downey jr as her brother tommy who is uh, this, uh, uh, he's gay, he is uh, very, very eccentric, he leaps on a car and does a Dracula impression, Uh, he's pretty hilarious, he has a camera in the movie, and then her sister is played by, uh, uh, let me look at the, who is it, Uh, it's the actress that kind of looks like Laurie Metcalf, I don't know if any of you guys know who I'm talking about, not that you do, Todd, because you gave it two stars, and Cynthia Stevenson, there we go, and uh, it's a great movie about Thanksgiving, it's a great movie about eccentric families, I will admit, I really only watch about the first 65 minutes of this movie, and I don't really watch the last half hour, kind of like like High Fidelity, I don't really know what happens, or It's a Wonderful Life, but (laughs) I I watched the end of that 
movie. I don't watch the beginning of that movie. That's a huge difference, Terry. Get it right. Anyway, I love Home for the Holidays, at least the first 65 minutes. It's fabulous. I mean, that phone call that she has on the plane uh, where she's talking about how she got fired and made out with her boss. Uh, the scene where she, you know, she's in the house with her parents. I, I love the scene where Anne Bancroft knows right away that she was fired. I could do a deep dive of the first 65 minutes of this movie. I kind of love this movie. Um, it's it's a th it is the quintessential Thanksgiving movie for me. I I, I love it. It's it, it's fantastic. Except I I don't know what happens at the end. But hopefully they got home okay and everything was restored and. You know, Claire Danes didn't have sex with Tim and maybe, uh, you know, uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. gets back together with Jack and uh, we're all good. You gave it two stars, man. That That's heartless. That's even worse than me giving thumbs down to King Richard. It, it, that, that, that's inexplicable. There are better Thanksgiving movies. <laughs> all right. Well, let's see if we get to one. Todd, number four. My number four is my Halloween pick, and I'm not choosing Halloween 2018 because I talk about that all the damn time. But uh, so I'm choosing Paranorman, which oh, is nice. a movie I really like. It like just missed my animated films list of the 2010s that we did. Uh, it's about this young boy who can uh, who can talk to the dead, and on Halloween, all the zombies rise from rise from the ashes, and then he has to save the town because he's the one that can actually communicate with them. It's a Laika movie. I love those movies. And this isn't their best one, It's but it's really underrated. And it came out the same weekend, actually, as Frankenweenie, I think, which is another one with similar tones, another really good animated movie, really underrated movie. But uh, I feel like this is a good time to mention Paranorman because I never get to mention it. And it's, it's just a really delightful animated movie. So two things. One, I don't think I've seen a single Laika movie, which is weird, especially since they're based like here in Hillsboro. Yeah, and, that's really weird. Yeah, and two, I think uh, I I set up my my like watch schedule for my Oscar anniversary watches for next year, and Paranorman is on the list, so I'll watch it next nice. year. So is Frankenweenie, right? Or have you seen that? I've not seen Frankenweenie, no. So that be on your list. That'd too. be on my list too. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Cool. All right. My number four. Uh, for this one, I'm going to 2019. And I'm going to a movie that is named for the uh, for the holiday. It is uh, takes place during. It is celebrating, uh, but it is a very messed up way to celebrate it. That is Midsummer. Nice. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had to mention it because this movie is insane and it is amazing, and it uh, introduces us all to how incredible Florence Pugh can be. Uh, and just, I mean, we've talked about it a lot. It, it's it's really a, a cool movie and uh, and creepy movie and the craziest, most suspenseful movie, suspenseful movie that takes place 100 percent in the daylight. So Midsommar, I'm going with it. I would Merlot it. I didn't put it on my list because I thought one of you guys would go with it. It's a great pick. When we deep dive it in eight years, I, I cannot wait to do it. Oh, there's so uh, many douchebags. Oh, <laughs> so <God>. many. So yes. many. <laughs> yes. Not a lot of stick men. But, well, one stick man, I guess, by the end of the movie, but not really. And uh, it's it's a great pick, Terry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I thought so. All right, Zach, number four. See, here was the problem I had with this list, and Terry sort of alluded to it earlier. Like, what is a holiday movie? Like, are we, would you consider like Mean Girls a holiday movie because there's a scene that takes place around Christmas time? 
would you consider funny people a Thanksgiving movie? Because there's a Thanksgiving scene. No, like th that is bullshit. Okay. Like Adam's family values has one of the great Thanksgiving scenes of all time, but there's no proof that that movie takes place at Thanksgiving. So I really tried to go with movies that actually took place on the holiday that they alleged to be about. And so my number four pick is a movie that takes place on New Year's Eve. All, all hour and a half of this movie takes place on New Year's Eve. It's a movie that takes place within a 24-hour time span. It is the most Todd movie of all time that Todd has never seen. I've been begging him to watch it, but it's not available anywhere. It's one of the real crimes that Netflix or whatever. It, it, it's, it's, it's a tragedy that the streaming services have never picked up this movie. It is from 2007. It is a movie called In Search of a Midnight Kiss. And it is a brilliant movie directed by someone named Alex Haldridge. And it is about a guy named Wilson who's played by Scoot McNary. And at the beginning of the movie, he is... Uh, it, it, this is a movie shot entirely in black and white. It's New Year's Eve. He uh, has masturbated to an online picture of his roommate's girlfriend. And they both walk in on him doing the act. First of all, great setup to a movie. That's perfect. <laughs> Um, and so they decide, you know what, Wilson needs to kind of like, uh, you know, get his tastes a little bit uh, uh, diversify. And so they set him up on an online dating service, which in 2007 was still considered somewhat niche. And he goes on a blind date and he meets a girl named Vivian, who's played by uh, Sarah Simmons. And they have a great first date in which she says uh, she claims to be 17, but then she's not. Um this is a movie that is very much inspired by the before sunrise, before midnight type uh, thing where, you know, you have two characters talking all night long and uh, it is just fabulous. It, it, it's brilliantly written. It's fantastically acted. It's shot in black and white. It's charming and it takes place on New Year's Eve. So I'm qualifying it as a new, uh, as a holiday movie. Um, and it's just a tragedy that this movie didn't become something greater. I don't know. I, I, I love this movie. I don't even know how I saw it or where I saw it, but it's absolutely lovable. It's charming. And um, it's number four on my list. And Todd, uh, you should see it. Uh, buy the DVD for $69 online or however much it costs. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a great Duplass ripoff before the Duplass became a household name. I will do my best. I know I've heard about that movie several times from you. All right. Todd, number three. My number three is the Groundhog Day selection. There we go. Groundhog Day. No Merlot. There we go. Okay. I I don't know. I've grown to absolutely love this movie in the last few years. It's it's. I mean, it's kind of a classic. It's one of those you know, time loop or infinite time loop movies you may have heard about, as they say in Palm Springs. Uh, Bill uh, Bill Murray's disdain for everything is endearing in this movie. Every character is an asshole. It makes it almost a Todd movie. And I, it's one of the, the few 90s movies that is ahead of its time. It doesn't age at all. Like, and it's the only Groundhog Day movie, I think, in existence. It's a, I don't know what I'm supposed to say about Groundhog Day. It's amazing. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Just it, missed my list. It's the William Howard Taft pick. I mean, it's like everybody was going to choose it. So I'm, I'm glad you used it. <laughs> well, chose it. I'm glad you talked about it, Todd. Obviously, it's, <laughs> it's the best. It was. It, it was kind it was, of a Todd movie, right? Every is there any likable character in the movie? I don't think there is. <laughs> the groundhog, maybe. Uh, maybe. The, yeah. the What? What's his name? Chris Elliott. What? Chris Elliott is that his name? Oh. Yeah. I, my my favorite right. moment in that movie is when nobody bids on him in the in the bachelor <laughs> auction. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like I all the my, Michael Shannon's pretty awesome in that movie. Oh, he's God. in that movie. Wow, I didn't know that. Um, Man, I don't remember that. Ryerson. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> I remember Sonny and Cher in that movie at six a.m. I love that you could, I, if you were an alien and you started watching that movie at the forty-five minute mark, you would not have any clue what that movie is about or understand anything. <laughs> my favorite thing about it. Do you, okay, so serious question. Do you think the Palm Springs, you know, Black Mirror, Russian doll crap, do you think that has made this movie better or worse in the years subsequently? I think it's better. Like, like I said, it's actually grown on me because I had seen it like a long time ago and then I watched it recently or like or a few years ago and then I've seen it a few times since. Like, I think it, it's getting better because... It has inspired other movies. <coughs> and I think the, the first one was Edge of Tomorrow, right? Like, that was the first yeah. one that I, I can remember that did that. Source code. Yeah, yeah, okay. That made a similar thing. That's ready, more video Ready, game-ish. die, repeat. Yeah, that was Edge of Tomorrow, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know if I could tell you the difference between Source Code and Ready, Die, Tomorrow. I, That's not the movie. The, I thought they were one of them is with Tom Cruise and one is with Jake Gyllenhaal, but I can't. Ready, die tomorrow. I mean, that 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 sounds like an Assassin's Creed sequel. Or that sounds like the next Bond movie. Yeah. Yes, actually, kind of does. <laughs> Ready, player, die tomorrow. All right. Moving on. It's my turn now. Number three on my list is my Valentine's Day pick. And this might be the most un-Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day pick you could go with. Uh, but it is a brilliant movie. It is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, yeah, this one, it all takes place kind of on Valentine's Day or the night before Valentine's Day. As you have Jim Carrey uh, getting his memory erased of all signs of his uh, ex-girlfriend. It is, it's one of the most creative movies ever. It, it's brilliant how Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey play it. And then you have all the stuff going on with Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst and Elijah Wood. Um, it, it is, it, it, like I said, it's not a Valentine's Day movie, but in being not one, it really truly is one and captures so much of the feeling of that holiday by trying to not if that makes any sense. Um, but um, it's a brilliant movie and it all takes place on Valentine's day. So uh, it's my number three. Yeah. See, I mean, that was the problem with this list is that I, I had no recollection that, that movie took place on Valentine's day. I feel like that's a, a, a insignificant part of the plot, but. Oh, it totally is. It totally is an insignificant part of the plot, but it doesn't change the fact <laughs> that he wakes up. And the first thing he says is February 14th. Hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Okay, Zach, number three. Okay, number three is where I kind of started to get interesting with this list. Uh, This is where I started to have some fun. Um, We know the greatest director alive today. His name is Oscar Farhadi. And in 2006, he made a movie called Fireworks Wednesday, which is a holiday in (laughs) Iran. Fireworks, One, Fireworks Wednesday is a holiday that takes place uh, before something called Shahar Shanbi Suri, a festival held on the eve of Wednesday before 
now roots so i this is a holiday movie absolutely uh it is oscar Farhardi's first um movie that got international recognition prior to about ellie and then obviously prior to a separation and it's been a while since i've seen it i'll be honest i saw it uh i would say maybe about seven or eight years ago at uh the ku student union and we were putting on a it was right around the time that the past came out uh oscar Farhadi's movie um and uh it was uh the first movie that kind of got some sort of international attention and uh i remember it being a really good movie if um obviously because i love oscar Farhadi. Uh, I, I have to uh, consult Wikipedia for this, but it is about a, uh, a maid who works at the house of a married couple who are going through some tumultuous uh, marriage, uh, marital conflicts. And uh, the maid is also someone who is uh, poised to be engaged to someone else. And it takes place prior to the eve of this holiday. And uh, yeah, I loved it. Uh, it. I don't remember too much about it. I don't know how much of it is available in the United States, uh, but Farhadi is amazing. Uh, his new movie and Licorice Pizza are my two most uh, uh, movies I'm most looking forward to in 2021. Um, I'm putting it number three because why not? And uh, everybody should see a Farhadi movie in their lifetime. It has a character named Samin, who is also a character name in A Separation, but it is not the same character. His movies are not like Kevin Smith movies. They don't exist in the same universe, but uh, it, it is a very good movie. Very nice. Well done. Well Thank done. Thank you. None of, neither of you have seen it, but uh, you know what? Uh, watch it. It's, it's, it's great. A, it's a great pick. I, I love the, uh, the foreign holidays. Yes. Uh, if, if you love it, just wait until my next picks. That's all I got to say. All right. Todd, number two. My number two is my Thanksgiving pick, and it is, like, obviously the best Thanksgiving movie ever. It's Hannah and Her Sisters, mm. which takes place around three Thanksgiving dinners with three sisters. It's the best acted of all Woody Allen movies, including his best performance ever. It's the best movie he's ever made, really. It's, uh, the, it's the only Thanksgiving movie to me that feels like a classic. Like, and Barbara Hershey is amazing. She should have won the Oscar that year. I mean, she wasn't even nominated. It was the same year she uh, she had Hoosiers. Uh, I think she was always the most interesting character in that movie. But it, it's without competition the best Thanksgiving movie. And given the week we're recording this, I had to mention it. And, uh, I mean, there's other good Thanksgiving movies. But this one, I mean, Hand Under Sisters is kind of a perfect movie. And just missed my top 100. Never seen Hannah and Her Sisters. Haven't watched it. I, I have nothing to say about it. I'm like Diane Keaton talking about Al Pacino. I got I got nothing to say. I'm nothing. You you used to. I used to in a past life. <laughs> All right, number two on my list. This is potentially the most controversial pick on my list, but I don't really care. Oh boy. Um, You're gonna say because... the same lot. I'm gonna say no, it's the same not lot. a Fourth of July movie, movie, man. It is a it has fourth... one scene at the Fourth yes. of July. That's yes, the same but... Brokeback Mountains of Fourth of July movie. Exactly. But, but here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. This movie, like, like that one scene, in like, is it 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 encapsulates everything that is great about that holiday and everything that is good about that holiday, and really the whole movie just supports that. A and, summer and, movie. It's a summer movie, but Fourth of July is the uh, the holiday of the summer. Anyway, I don't care. It's it's the it's like the best the best Fourth of July scene you will find in any movie, and if even if it's not about that, 
it's worth going with. So Sandlot's my number two. Deal I, with I, it. I can take it. Deal with it. And yes, it is just one scene. I don't really care. I don't I don't care. It, it was worth it. It was worth it. It it shows how stupid this power ranking was. <laughs> but whatever. All right. Zach number two. So I, I went with movies that actually took place during the holiday that they alleged <laughs> to be about instead of just a five minute sequence. And uh my next playing movie... baseball under the fireworks on fourth of July. Nothing isn't there, a, isn't there a sequence of Bull Durham that's fourth of July or you know Field of Dreams? They all are in the fourth of July. Well, how about League of Their Own? That's probably a fourth of July sequence. No, there's there nothing. Somewhere. There's nothing that's ridiculous. Can we put Apollo 13 in there for tax? The Sandlot is I mean, more of a fourth on. of July it's... movie than born on the fourth of July. Well, I don't remember a fourth of July scene in that movie, but it's in the title, though. It, it is in the title. <laughs> you could do a bandy, maybe. Oh, I hate this okay. list. Adam, screw you. Anyway, uh, my number two pick is a great documentary. Uh, I think it's the first documentary we've, we've mentioned on this list. And it is a movie that takes place during the Chinese New Year, which I don't know if you guys knew, but the Chinese New Year is the largest human migration in world history. Did you guys know that? Oh, I, I guess as an annual event. Because in the Chinese New Year, you have migrant workers that uh, go back to their home cities and, and greet their families. My movie is a 2013 document, actually, sorry, 2009 documentary that I saw in 2013 called Last Train Home. And it is a documentary all about these this Chinese family and their kind of heartbreaking uh, story. These two parents... Uh, and I'm not going to even try to pronounce their names, but maybe I will. I think Shangjua and Shujin, they are uh, the parents of this family. And they are so selfless and dedicated to their two children, their, their daughter and son, that they actually work in a factory about 1,500 miles away uh, from where their family is, is growing up. And they leave uh, their children to their uh, elderly you know, grandparents to raise so that at this factory they can support their family. One night or one week, I guess, one, uh, per year, they can go back and see their family. That is the Chinese New Year. That's why it's a, it, that is a it, on this list. It is a holiday movie. They go back during the Chinese New Year, and this filmmaker uh, actually chronicles their journey back home uh, for three uh, years in a row. It's kind of like uh, Hoop Dreams a little bit, kind of seeing how this family develops over the course of the three years. At the beginning of the movie, uh, it really kind of focuses on their daughter, uh, whose name is Xin. And uh, at the beginning of the movie, the first year they profile it, she kind of is like, okay, whatever. I don't really know my parents that well. I've only seen them a couple of times. But by the second and third year, she really grows to resent her parents. And she kind of thinks it's kind of bullshit how they worked and said that they supported me, but they ever never, never actually had a conversation with me. They don't know me at all. And so in the ultimate act of defiance, because they want me to become a successful university student, I'm actually going to become a factory worker to say, screw them. And they, of course, don't like that. And it's a fascinating movie about China. It's a fascinating movie about families. Um, I saw this, like I said, uh, eight years ago when I thought I was going to write my dissertation on Chinese foreign policy and international filmmaking. And uh, I, I didn't do that. I dropped out. But it was a great class that I watched it. And I've never forgotten this documentary. It's on YouTube. I actually watched it earlier this morning. It is fantastic. It's a great documentary about different generations in China and um, kind of economic policy in China. Like these people are obsessed with money in a supposedly con uh, communist country. 
Uh, it's an awesome movie. It is called Last Train Home. It is about the Chinese New Year, so it qualifies as a holiday film. It is a great, great documentary. Way yeah, I've more actually seen that too. Really? Okay. What were yeah, you, it was on Tony thoughts? Scott's list, I think. That's why I originally came across it. But yeah, that is a really good movie. And one that I never would have thought of. Because <laughs> I wasn't even considering documentaries. But yeah. It is a heartbreaking movie. Because you see this daughter essentially grow up before your eyes. And resist her parents totally. And you got to think, they've spent 20 years working at this plant. 1500 miles away they've never seen their kids and they've done it all for their kids and for her for their daughter to say f you is it's a, it's it's a it's an amazing documentary to watch see now i was waiting for you to say when you said documentary i was waiting for you to say like murder on a sunday morning because that, that sunday morning just happened to be a holiday in in this was random other country, I remember in uh, <laughs> in Murder on, on a Sunday Morning, Patrick McGonagall or whatever that guy's name is, the defense attorney, says that we want uh, Brenton Butler to be home for Thanksgiving. And so I thought, okay, uh... well, we can call this a Thanksgiving movie. But I I didn't I didn't quite extrapolate that much because a five minute sequence in a movie does not constitute a holiday scene, Terry. Just letting you know that. Still counts. Still counts. Todd. I'm glad you saw it, Todd. It's a great movie. What did you give it, Todd? I don't see it on the website, so I'm curious. Uh, I think it was three and a half stars. It's it's an it's a a amazing documentary. Everybody should should check it out. I'm gonna have to look it up. Okay. Todd number one. My number one is my New Year's pick, and that is when Harry met Sally. Mm. There are several New Year's scenes in this, and including when they first meet. Uh, but it's probably the best romantic comedy of all time. It's also probably one of the main reasons why Adam and I are friends because we <laughs> found our mutual respect for this movie. Like I, <laughs> I think it was both in our both of our top 100s at the time. And I, it's one of those movies that I've seen so many times. I've probably seen it 20 times, but all the way through, maybe only a few times, which I feel like comes up a lot on on like our deep dives and stuff. We, we're definitely deep diving this at some point. But yeah, when Harry Miss Sally is a classic, classic romantic comedy and. And another one just missed my top 100. But I know it's on Adam's top 100, so it doesn't qualify for his. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, well, first of all, not a New Year's Day movie. Ridiculous pick. I did see your link, Terry, that it was actually Todd's 38th, 100th film, Last Train Home. Very interesting. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Obviously, great movie. I can't complain about the pick, but it's not a holiday movie. I okay. The whole thing isn't on the holiday. Yeah, but... Hannah and her sisters makes more sense because at least that covers multiple Thanksgivings that have prominent things happen in the movie. Whereas, I, I don't know. I, this is why the list sucked. I hate. I hate you, Adam. <laughs> you can make your own rules. When you win trivia, or when you win the power rankings, Todd, can you just let's not do a list like this? Okay, just pick something else. Wait. So your rating isn't even on here for Last Train Home. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was curious about that too. I, send yeah. that, send that to me. When, uh, I will. It's a four star. Maybe send me the rest. Of, okay, got it. Is it on your top ten of that year? Twenty ten. I, I believe it is actually. <laughs> Weak year. All right, my number one is uh, a movie that takes place on Forrest Gump. Dia de los Muertos. Oh, it oh, is Coco. Coco. Oh yeah, you got to go with Coco. Oh, this movie is brilliant. Um, one one of the better uh, Pixar outings. Uh, this was like top five of that year for me uh, when it came out in 2017. Uh, 
it, it's got it's got music, it's got heart, it's got family, it's got everything that Pixar wants to wants to have in all their movies. Um, and yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. You, you're you're a horrible person if you don't like Coco. I think Todd gave it two and a half stars. So that that is true. Yeah, yeah. You you gave Encanto two and a half stars. I did. Because Encanto was not as good as Coco. <laughs> So there you go. There you go. Also, another thing I hated about this list, if we, we can add on to this, we had to look up. I had to look up Adam's movies. Like, is Coco a top 100 Adam movie? I know. I had to look that up, too. <laughs> Stupid. All right, Zach, number one. Obviously, Coco is a great pick. By the way, I love that you guys have no idea what my number one pick is. I, it's enjoyable. <laughs> I'm just going to bask in it for a second. Okay. All right. My number one pick comes from uh, 1975. Great year in filmmaking. Um, great decade in filmmaking. It is arguably the greatest Australian movie ever made. And it, it never would have occurred to me to put this movie on this list had it not been for House of Gucci because House of Gucci made me really stretch my imagination to movies that took place on a holiday. This movie takes place during Valentine's Day. I did not realize that. This movie is Peter Weir's Picnic at Hanging Rock. One of the great Australian movies of all time. It's kind of lumped in the same category as like Walkabout, Walkabout or... Uh, uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. What's your favorite Australian movie? This is the movie that kind of it, it launched Peter Rear's career as a director. It is the story of not a real life incident, although if you're watching the movie, you feel like it's a real life incident. Um, but it is about this. Uh, uh, in 1900, this group of schoolgirls went to Hanging Rock somewhere in uh, Eastern Australia, and they went on a day trip. And these four schoolgirls basically disappeared. And one of them came back and said, I, I really don't know what happened. And then uh, one of the teachers sort of lo went looking for them, also disappeared. The movie is this kind of existential mystery about what happened to these girls. And spoiler alert, we never really know what happened to them. Um, there, there are clues throughout. Uh, for example, we see this young man who is very uh, kind of curiously interested in finding these girls. And he, and he saw them and he may have some impure thoughts about them. Uh, but he isn't really uh, someone who actually did anything. He sort of just invested. He's curious about the case. We see this uh, police investigator. We see this very Victorian regal girls school that these girls come from. Um, they are very much taught to be chaste and to not show any sort of skin and to resist any sort of sexuality. Obviously, there is a major undercurrent of sexuality in this movie. Um, it is very much, I, I, I love movies, especially movies from the seventies that are about something and it's inexplicable what it's about, but you can kind of read into it. Maybe things that it could be about that the director is kind of toying us with. Um, I, you know, when I watch this movie, I kind of think of three women, the Robert Altman movie, great Robert Altman movie on my top 100. I also think about the Virgin suicides. It's undeniable to watch this movie, not think about the Virgin suicides, this disappearance of these three girls. Um, it's a fantastic movie that I was recently rewatching this week, and uh, it, it just sucks you in. You, you don't know what to expect from it. 
you think it's a movie about this disappearance, but ultimately becomes about, you know, these, this kind of Victorian role in this, in, in early Australia, you know, colonized Australia. Um, and it's just beautifully shot, amazing cinematography, amazing performances, uh, early performance by Oscar nominee, Jackie Weaver, by the way. And uh, I love it. It's the best, uh, it's the best holiday movie ever, even though it's a real downer and uh, it's fun. It does take place on St. Patrick's day, but you know, no one gets it in sadly. And um I do have to say, when I was 13... You it was Valentine's Day? It was Valentine's Day that they disappeared. When I was 13 and watched this movie, I found it very erotic. I, I will just leave it at that. I've never seen this movie. And that's impressive. It was. It was like the opening sequence of Speed. It, it definitely <laughs> turned me on. But it's a great movie nonetheless. It, it, it's, it's worth watching. Awesome. awesome. It's on HBO Max, man. You should watch it. It's really good. All right. Well, let's uh, let's recap and then we'll do honorable mentions and uh, guess Adam's list here. So, Todd, five to one. Number five, Knock Knock. Number four, Paranorman. Number three, Groundhog Day. Number two, uh, Hannah and Her Sisters. And number one is When Harry Met Sally. And for me, number five, Ghostbusters 2. Number four, Midsommar. Number three, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Number two, The Sandlot. And number one, Coco. Zach. Yeah, when I was writing down your list, Terry, I wrote down Eternals at number three, and I was like, what? That was not a holiday movie, if I remember correctly. Uh, now I understand, though. Number five on my list was Home for the Holidays, the best Thanksgiving movie. Number four was In Search of a Midnight Kiss. Number three was Fireworks Wednesday. Number two was Last Train Home, which apparently Todd has seen, but I have not. And number one is Picnic at Hanging Rock. Awesome. Todd, honorable mentions. Uh, so I have uh, Krisha, for, which is a Thanksgiving movie. Uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy was uh, set on May Day. Fruitvale Station on New Year's, yeah. which is yeah, one I thought one. Zach yeah. was going with. Easy Rider is set kind of around Mardi Gras. And if you want to go with The Passion of the Christ on Good Friday, I, I would say that's acceptable. All right. All right. Um, so I've got... Um, I couldn't find a great Halloween one, so I... Uh, Hocus Pocus is good, even though I just saw that recently for the first time. Um, because Dia de los Muertos and Halloween are two different things. Um, uh, Groundhog Day, obviously. I had The Fugitive on my list because uh, he walks through the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Oh. Um, I had The New World as a That's Thanksgiving right. movie, potentially. That's horrible. Um, yeah, I, nice. I didn't go with that because it would have been horrible. And then, I mean, if we could have gone with TV, there was a whole bunch of yes, a lot of great stuff. Um, and the one notable one I will mention is uh, How I Met Your Mother and Slapsgiving. That that's it, it. It's it's the best holiday you could come up with. He even had a theme song for it. So there you go. Well, we never Zach, outlawed TV on this one. I well, but I mean, it, you. I mean, you couldn't do that though. You, I mean. You, you could have gone with, like, all right, every Friends Thanksgiving episode yeah. in one of them. Or yeah. you could have just gone with, all right, number five is Charlie Brown Christmas. Number four is Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Number <laughs> I mean, you could have just done that. So. You couldn't have done the Christmas one, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie Brown Valentine's. I mean, you, there's one for every holiday. Anyways, Zach. I think it is absolutely shameful that we do not have a truly great Hanukkah movie. I mean, we've got uh, the night before maybe, but I've never seen it. I didn't think I didn't hear it was that good, but where's the great Hanukkah movies? 
Eight Crazy Nights, but none of us has seen it. No, obviously not a great movie. Anyway, um, so I didn't have a whole lot more to add except a couple of of, uh, uh, holiday-themed episodes. I went with the Festivus episode of Seinfeld. And uh, Todd would have had the the minus 120 that I was going to mention that. And then I had the Rugrats Hanukkah episode, which actually is a really good episode. They also had a a great Passover episode. Hanukkah. You got to put the hat in it. I forgot about that. I I would put the Sopranos Columbus Day episode, but actually I think that's sort of a horrible episode. So I actually wouldn't mention it. Quietly, Frasier had a great Valentine's Day episode. I don't know if you guys are big fans of Frasier. I, I, I used to be. There was a great Frasier episode that had three mini stories, kind of like Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And it was brilliantly done, especially the David Hyde Pierce segment where he actually sets Frasier's apartment on fire. Great Valentine's Day episode. And then I'm a uh, fan of Adam Frasier, the newest Seattle Mariner. There we go. And uh, I really had nothing more to add except if Terry's really going to put The Sandlot as a 4th of July movie, then I'm going to freaking put My Girl as a 4th of July movie because that is a much better 4th of July scene when Jamie Lee Curtis confronts her ex about the ownership of the mobile home, or excuse me, the RV that she lives in. That's a better 4th of July scene than, than Ham scarfing down food at the neighborhood potluck and then playing listen, baseball listen. under the fireworks. It's the one night game of the year. You're talking about Dan Aykroyd. Danny. Danny! And then he beats up Danny. Dan Aykroyd has never been more of a badass than he was in that scene. I'm the only one that had Dan Aykroyd on my list. I'll just leave it at that. True. Okay. Let's let's guess Adam's list here. Uh, Todd, uh, what's the winning guess? All right. Number five. I have Midsommar, number four, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, number three, Coco, number two, Fruitvale Station, and number one, Groundhog Day. All right, I've got number five, Adam's Family Values, uh, number four, The Sandlot, number three, Midsommar, number two, Groundhog Day, number one, Coco. Okay, number five, I had a video game. I don't know what video game, but some video game. (laughs) Number four, Patriot's Day. Number three, Coco. Number two, Groundhog Day. And number one, The Passion of the Christ. All right, here we go. Adam's list. So obviously, he says, obviously Halloween when Harry met Sally, E.T., The Apartment, The Fugitive, or any other top 100 is off the list. And Home Alone would be my Christmas movie too. Okay, honorable mentions. Uh, Spider-Man for Thanksgiving. Fruitvale Station for New Year's. Once Upon a Time in Mexico for Dia de los Muertos. Uh, and what? Star Wars the Somebody holiday special. Oh, Star day. Wars holiday special. God damn it! But that's not a that's a that, that, well honorable mentions. Okay. Honorable Wait, so mentions. he does. Does that mean he not, doesn't have Coco because he has? He does. He does. He does. Okay. Number five, Adam's Family Values for Thanksgiving. You didn't even like that. Movie Number that four, much. Midsommar. God. Number three, it. Coco. Number two, Trick or Treat for Halloween, and number one, what? Groundhog Day. I got four of the five. I got three. Wait, so he didn't mention Fruitvale Station? It was in his honorable mention. Honorable mention or, okay. or Patriot's Day? God, Patriot's I really Day thought I had that. <laughs> that was a great call, though. I mean, it's a, it's one he name three, for a holiday. Three and a half stars. I know, that's why I was saying Flag Day was like, I was thinking that, but like nobody's seen that. Yeah. All right, well, Terry least, gets the win. doesn't win. I get I'll the win! It. That's Terry's 20th win. Hey! 
inching closer to Zach at 22 and nowhere near me at <laughs> 37 and a half. <laughs> Todd, do you know the last time I won this this game? I think we looked it up, didn't we? <laughs> Did you it, say it was in May? It was in May. <laughs> a horse, a horse. Haven't had a winner in five months. He shows the bet the the best depressing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes, that was. And then I told you to pick uh, the best bartenders, but that doesn't really count. All uh, right, moving on. It's trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And I won trivia last time, so I assigned both of you to watch Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. <laughs> Todd, you get to go first in describing this brilliant movie that I gave three and a half stars to. Uh, what's it about? What'd you think? It is directed by Josh Greenbaum, and it's it is about Barb and Star, who are played by Oscar-nominated writers uh, <laughs> Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumlo. And they're lifelong friends in Nebraska who decide they're going to go on a vacation to visit Del Mar, which will be the first time they ever leave the Midwest. Um, there's some fish out of water stuff clearly that's going to go on. Uh, and then there's this also this like really weird villainous plot with some woman named Sharon who takes vengeance on Vista Del Mar because of some bad experience she had when she was a child. And then there's these henchmen played by Jamie Dornan and Damon Wayans Jr. Uh, the former of which becomes some sort of love interest. And but yeah, the movie's pretty wild. I'm not sure I'm ever on the same wavelength, same wavelength as uh, Wig and Mumlo. I, I hated Bridesmaids. Like, um, this is just strange. And I never really got on top of what it was going for. Like, the, there's something like, okay, so uh, Annie Mumlo plays, has, her character is the same name as the character she played in This Is 40. And they're nothing alike. And that can't be a coincidence, but I don't understand the connection there. But I mean, there has to be something. They are in their own world. Like the, the, there was some like when I was thinking about this movie when they were conceiving this project, I thought of Welcome to Me. Like and and that is like uh, like just just like them talking about this. I'm like they are crazy. Like it feels like one of those like overplayed SNL sketches that everyone finds funny that I feel like is an inside joke that I'm not on the inside of, which is kind of everything that they do nowadays. But this is like an extension of that, and. Um, I don't know. They definitely get the awkwardness of being like being on a plane. I feel like that was a good scene. That was a good scene in Bridesmaids, actually, as well. Like uh, some sequences work, but they're, I mean, including the random sound and dance scene with Jamie Dornan, I guess. <laughs> I feel like I like Kristen Wiig, but I just don't like her actual taste in movies. Like I, I feel like she doesn't actually know how good she is when she combines with like a Judd Apatow or like a Ben Stiller or a Mike Judge. Like they understand it and they bring out the best in her, but like. I don't think that when she is in charge of what she's doing, that she's any good. But I think this, I, 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 could, I couldn't get it. I, I feel like Seth Rogen kind of is the same way in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't know. This is like a resort movie, sort of like Desperados or The Wrong Missy or even like Couples Retreat. These are this is well-worn territory. It's not as slapstick, but it, it has more in common with those than uh, you would actually think. It's pretty indulgent. It gets like Swiss Army Man type weird. <laughs> I don't know. It's a fr- fa- it's like a fascinatingly bad movie, and I've given it two stars. Also, oh, oh. like what Annie, Annie Mumolo has to know she isn't a good actress, right? Like, where was Maya Rudolph? <laughs> Why wasn't she the main, the second main character? Come on. I'll, I'll I'll take that review. I'll take that review. All right, Zach, 
Zach, what what'd you think? So my review of this movie is curiously similar to the last movie that Terry assigned us, which is the Tomorrow War. Actually, there's some odd parallels. In mostly in that I absolutely loved this movie. I, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to proclaim how much I love this movie. I would actually give it four stars if it didn't demean my reputation among our three listeners. <laughs> Listen, this was absolutely exactly what I wanted in a 2021 movie. It, it, it's got Listen, it's got a lot of naked gun in it. It's got a lot of Austin Powers in it. It's got some of those like 90s Paramount comedies in its DNA. I always said it was Austin Powers meets Dumb and Dumber. It is so stupid. Well, I mean, yeah, and you've got the Kristen Wiig character playing. First of all, I didn't recognize Kristen Wiig as the villain in this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, by the way, I did. What was her? I, I, did they ever mention her name in this movie? I think it was Sharon something. Um, I love this movie, man. I could go on and wax poetics about how great this movie was for a long time. Um, <laughs> Jamie Dornan deserves a Best Supporting Actor nomination for it. Uh, he, his, as we've mentioned on this podcast, his, uh, song and dance number in this movie is way better than Belfast. Uh, I, I would agree with you there. I would agree with you. There. Morgan Freeman as a crab. <laughs> I, I don't know where they come up with this stuff. Uh, Trish, uh, I, 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 I loved every second of this movie. It is undeniably brilliant. I've been listening to that dance uh, number of uh, My Heart Will Go On for a long time since I've watched this movie. Uh, the drink that they drink, <coughs> I, I want to drink it. I, it. It's magnificent in every conceivable way. I was a little skeptical when Barb and Star, do you remember that they, apparently they gave an award out at the Golden Globes and I'm like, who, who oh, are Barb yeah, and yeah, Star? Yeah. I didn't realize, I thought they were SNL characters that maybe I'd missed. They are fantastic. Everything in this movie is fantastic. I love it. If I'm being honest with myself, this is a top 10 movie of the 2021. I can't I can't really say that, uh, but I I loved it. It's a great call by Terry. It's a three and a half star movie. I, I think it's it's it should be a Broadway show. It, yes. The music in it is phenomenal. Like that no, I love boobies by Richard Cheese. Great song. The, the 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 number that they have when they enter the 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 actual Del Mar resort is fantastic. Tell me a flaw in this movie. It doesn't exist. It's wonderful. It was a great pick by you, Terry. Well, thank you. Thank you. I just, but I totally I, I totally get the fact that it's a movie you either get or you don't. I loved it. I this is the kind of this is the kind of shit I eat up. I love silly. I love stupid. <laughs> and this one is definitely stupid, but it's so funny. It's, it's so a, it was hilarious. It was a great movie. B better than Bridesmaids. Uh, I, I still have to watch Bridesmaids. It's coming up this month. Finish out my, my year. Two uh, stars, man. That That's just, that's cold. <coughs> well, it, it is significantly higher than my Bridesmaids rating. So. <laughs> <laughs> so he agrees with you there that it's better than Bridesmaids. It's just so silly and so fun. And like I said, it's it's Austin Powers meets Dumb and Dumber. And I love both those movies. And so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jamie Dornan is basically doing what Anna Nicole Smith did in Naked Gun 33 and a third. <laughs> the song he has where he's climbing up the palm tree and ripping off his shirt. I mean, it's it, it's amazing. It, it, it's a work of art.
and, and the end of this movie is just so ridiculous, but so how about the scene? How about beautiful. the scene where Kristen Wiig as the villain is launched out of a human cannon? <laughs> I love that. <sighs> this movie's just—it's so funny. It, it's just ridiculous, and yeah, it's everything silly you want in a movie. Okay, well, I'm glad Zach liked it at least. All right, it's time for trivia. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, that, boom, boom. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of how we're. Yeah, there we go. Well done, Todd. Well done. <laughs> all right, we are going to start with. All right, we started this this whole episode with House of Gucci, and we're going to end with uh, with something similar. Oh god. Uh, I've got two categories here. The first one, Ridley Scott has directed twenty eight movies. Oh god. Can no. you no. name them? Okay, 28 well, who, films. Who are, we, who are we starting with? Uh, we're starting with Zach because he liked the movie. Okay, I will go with uh, House of Gucci. House of Gucci is correct. <laughs> because you asked me that question once, it's really two questions. It's a me, right. a Mario. Could, could you hear the walking in his voice though? Like every now and then, he 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 ended up talking like this, and then it ended up sounding like walking. Anyways, Todd. Uh, Gladiator. Gladiator is correct. Uh, his best movie, Matchstick Men. Matchstick Men is correct. A good year. A good year. <laughs> Way to pull out wow. the obscure right off the bat, Todd. That's correct. Uh, the Last Duel. The Last Duel is correct. Alien. Alien is correct. The second movie he ever directed. Prometheus. Prometheus. More than just the second movie he ever directed. That's Alien true. Covenant. Alien Covenant. Have you ever heard anyone actually defend that movie? Because I have. <laughs> on a different podcast. Oh, yeah, I heard that too. I have to watch <laughs> Prometheus <laughs> next year, so I should probably start the entire Alien franchise before I do that. All right, Probably. Zach. Uh, Hannibal. Hannibal is correct. Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down is correct. Uh, one of Terry's favorite movies from this year, Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise is correct. Blade Runner. Blade Runner is correct. American Gangster, which Terry and I saw together. We did see it together. That was a great experience. Correct. <laughs> Frosty Run. Goodfellas double feature. Forgettable uh, movie. G.I. <laughs> Jane. G.I. Jane. Loki, G.I. Jane would be like a top four Ridley movie. That's actually a good movie. That's a Terry Senior movie. Oh, yes. Like that Joan of Arc movie. Kind of around the same time, too. The Joan of Arc movie is a is a Terry father-in-law movie, by the way, not oh. a Terry senior movie. Okay, sorry, confused Terry. <laughs> all right, Zach. There's a Terry Gillian movie in there somewhere. Um, all the money in the world. All the money in the world is correct. It was the last movie he directed before the two this year. The Counselor. The counselor is correct. Uh, The Martian. The Martian is correct. Body of Lies. Body oh, of I lies. forgot about that. Good call. Jeez. Correct. 
1492 Conquest of Paradise. That is correct. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, wow. Legend. That's... Legend is correct. 1985. Really? God damn it. The Duelists. The Duelist was his first movie. That is correct. I don't think You've I have named any more. 21 of his 28 <laughs> movies. So you guys are doing good. There's a couple big ones still out there, too. Big ones. Well, notable ones. Uh... Memorable ones. Noteworthy. Yeah, I don't have anything. Oh, Zach, do you have anything else? Have anyone? Have we said Gladiator? Yes, we said Gladiator. Oh, sorry. Okay, uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings. No one said no. that yet. That is correct. Anything else? Um, he 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 made another 2017 movie that we're missing, right? Uh, both seven 2017 movies have been mentioned. Oh, okay. Um, Alien Covenant was the other one. Okay, okay, that's right. Okay. Um, I just listened to this horrible podcast rank their top five Ridley Scott movies and I'm, I'm really blanking um, I, I think that might oh oh no uh, no I'm sorry a kingdom of heaven kingdom of heaven is correct there we go that was on a <laughs> mentioned as a top three Ridley movie <laughs> unbelievably um, that's all I've got I'm out all right uh, so you missed what do we miss? One, two, three, four. We you missed five movies off his list. That's impressive. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So we are not fans. <laughs> yeah, 1987, someone to watch over me. Never 1989's Black Rain. Uh 1996's uh, White Squall. Uh, oh, 20, Jeff Bridges. 2013's TV movie, The Vatican. And the one that I've seen that you had left was 2020 2010's Robin Hood with oh. uh, with Russell Crowe. Yeah. All right, your second category. Zach has a uh, thirteen. I can't believe lead. I'm winning this. I'm so drunk right now. Like Todd, how, how it is disturbing that I'm winning this. Todd gets to go first on this one. Uh, so we just had to count down the greatest holiday movies that were not Christmas movies. So your countdown now is: Can you give me the highest grossing Christmas oh movies Box of all time? I'm over. Take it, Todd. Um, this it. is. There are the top 32 movies I have here. Uh, the highest on this list is 511 million. The lowest is 42 million. Highest grossing Christmas movies of all time. Todd, you're first. Well, what does that mean, Christmas movies? Is this an Adam's List type distinction? Like, does it have to be about Christmas? I mean, set during Christmas. I think, I think Chris actually like about christmas like i don't see die hard on this list i'll put it yeah I, i'm i'm already questioning this list todd you're first okay there's something going on i haven't you guys are cutting out oh no okay i i missed like the last like 30 seconds okay highest grossing christmas movies you're going first and uh 
Die Hard is not on the list, so it has to be about Christmas. That's basically all you missed. Okay. Okay. Go for it. Uh, Home Alone. Home Alone is number two. Correct. By uh, four hundred and seventy-six million. Home Alone two. Home Alone two is not on the list. Now well, there we go. Congratulations, Todd. Todd. All right. Let's see what you can come up with. How many are we doing? There's a top thirty-two. Forty-two million is the lowest number on the list. Forty-two million. Okay. Uh, Christmas Vacation. Um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, number twenty-three on the list. Um, I've not been thinking about Christmas movies at all. Uh, I kind of was trying to catch you guys off guard a little bit here. I was thinking like uh, Home Alone 3. I mean, Home Alone 2 wasn't on the list, so Home Alone 3 isn't. Are you sure? Scarlett Johansson's in that movie. It's not on the list. Should be on the top list. All right. Well, Zach wins then, 13 to 12. That that list flamed out. That was a bomb, Terry. That was a bomb. Where was Love Actually? Was that on the list? No. I was thinking of Barry Hurl and Kumar Christmas. That was the only yeah. other one I had in my. Yeah. Um, so the I'll give you so number one was The Grinch, the twenty eighteen animated The Grinch. Wow. I never. I uh, number two, I Home Alone. That. Number three was Jim Carrey's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Number four was A Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey. Number five, Polar Express. Six, Elf. Seven, The Holiday. Eight. Santa Claus, nine, the Nutcracker in the Four Realms, ten, Santa Claus two, then you had four Christmases, Arthur Christmas, Bad Mom's Christmas, Jingle All the Way, Last Christmas, Office Christmas Party, Santa Claus three, Fred Claus, Christmas with the Cranks, Nightmare How Before Christmas. How did Home Alone two not make more movies? Mo- Bad Santa, Best Man in Holiday, Party, come on, the rest Star, Krampus, day. Scrooge, Medea Christmas, This Christmas, Deck the Halls, Whatever. Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, Almost Christmas. Love the Coopers. I'll have to check that. Love the Coopers made more money than Home Alone 2. That, that's almost impossible. Home Alone 2 had to have made more money. I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. Doesn't matter. Zach won anyways. So, Home Alone 2 box office. Let's see here. Home Alone 2 box office. Um, let's see here. Oh, yeah. What? Then why wasn't on this list? Anyways, my list is bad. It should have been on the list. So, what about Home Alone 3? Did that come out in theaters or was that direct to TV? Home Alone 3 wasn't set in Christmas. Home Alone 3, 71 million. It wasn't a Christmas movie. It wasn't a Christmas movie. He just was sick one day. (laughs) Ebert gave three stars to Home Alone 3. And two stars to the first Home Alone. Zach wins. That's all we're saying. Zach wins. I don't know. I I feel like we need another category. That was... All right, one other category. Yes, let's, let's do great. it. I've got, I've got, I've had this this spare category for just in <laughs> case we needed a third category for a long time, and now we're finally going to use it. it okay, here we box go. Box office category. There are. Let's see here. Is this? Yeah, there are sixteen. T- 
times that someone has won an Oscar for their acting debut. 16 times someone has won an Oscar for their acting debut. Can you name them? We're starting with Zach. Rita Moreno. Rita Moreno, it was not her debut. Stupid. <laughs> dumb. Just like Adam's list. Everything's dumb. It wasn't her debut. I mean, what do you want me to say? You it wasn't her debut. I, I can look up what her debut was. That's all right. But... That's all right. All right. Todd? Harold Russell. Harold, come on. Harold Russell is correct for best years of our lives. Ridiculous. That guy didn't have any hands. It's like (laughs) Edward Scissor hands. He didn't Uh, even have a head. Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer Hudson's right. Do you have any more, Todd? The Japanese actress for Sayonara. Timothy Hutton. Oh, God damn it. That's probably right, too. Timothy Hutton's right. I feel like there was one recently. I can't remember it though. There there was one in the last ten years. Yeah. Are we calling it good? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so uh the best actress there's never been a best actor uh for an acting debut, but best actress you have uh Shirley Marley Booth Matlin. for uh for comeback little Sheba. In 1952, Marley Matlin is on the list. Julie Andrews for Mary Poppins. Barbara Streisand for Funny Girl. Uh, there was one other Best Supporting Actor other than Harold Russell and Timothy Hutton, and that was Hang S. Nagore for The Killing Fields. Oh, yeah. uh, Best Supporting Actress, you've got Gail Sondergaard for Anthony Adverse uh, in 1936. Katina Paxino for, for Whom the, the Bell Tolls. Uh, Mercedes McCambridge for All the King's Men. Eva Marie Saint for On the Waterfront. Joe Van Fleet for East of Eden, Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon, Anna Paquin for the piano, and Lupita Nyong'o for 12 Years a Slave. Just to be clear, it's really looking like Rita Moreno was on TV before movies. It's got a lot of TV credits, but no movie credits. She was in Singing in the Rain. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm looking at the list right now. Okay, well. She was in a bunch of stuff before West Side Story. All right, never mind. All right. Quote of the day time, Toddy won. Go for it. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Uh, so I'm going to quote uh, Jared Leto in House of Gucci. Oh, God. Because um, he says, How can I be thinking about my line when my father could be dropping the soap? That was a scene that I was asleep during. Uh, or we both know he's blind in one eye and deaf in the other. Future two-time Oscar winner. Jared All right. Zach. Uh, my quote comes from Jamie Dornan in his Academy Award nominated performance in Barb and Star. And he says, Seagulls in the stand, can you hear my prayer? I keep trying, but I'm getting nowhere, which is the way I feel about both trivia and power rankings, predicting Adam's list. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I feel you there. All right. My quote comes from Ghostbusters 2, the, the best New Year's Day movie, New Year's Eve movie. Uh, and this is from Janos, who's played by Peter McNichol, 
who uh, was in Sophie's Choice also, but um, he was Yano Shahir. He was, he was Stingo. And, yeah, he was Stingo. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he says at one point he looks at someone and just says, everything you're doing is bad. I want you to know that. And that's kind of how I feel about Ridley Scott. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I like it. All right. With that, we're drawing this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.